Hey gang, Hydraberg here, Cut Above Horror Review. Tonight we are blessed by the second appearance of Trey of the Trey's Table Podcast. He's here to help us exterminate all possible theories for the film Bug from 2006. Join us for a bugged out episode of A Cut Above that starts now. Cut my life into pieces! Good evening and welcome to A Cut Above Horror Review, a podcast where we review all things horror. I'm your host, Jacqueline, and tonight we'll be discussing Bug from 2007. But first, let's meet everyone else on the show. First up, a big welcome back to our friend James, a.k.a. Trey, from Trey's Table. Welcome back, James. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And um, this is not a shout out to the Barbie movie. I just happen to be wearing this color today. (laughs) But I just want to say that, um, you know, listen, I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Um, You know, the first time I did this with you guys, this was amazing. I really, truly enjoyed it. And between that time and now, I really, truly have enjoyed listening to all the content you guys have put out. And if you don't mind me sharing with the audience, I've already told you uh, three about this uh, via direct message. And I posted about it, but I was actually out at a restaurant several weeks ago. And I heard uh, three young women talking about your podcast. <laughs> so you are so crazy, even more famous than you realize. And it was just one of those things where, you know, how maybe on sort of a subconscious level, you can hear things around you. But the minute I heard them mention the podcast, I was like, oh, I can't wait you know, to tell you. So you guys have been doing a great work. You know, I love it. I will tell you that one of my personal favorites, the recent episode you did was about The Ring, one of my oh. favorite movies. And that was... I mean, all the episodes are incredible, but I really, truly enjoyed that one. Um, got myself to a point where I was running into uh, a hearing that I had in court because I'll usually listen when I'm driving in. And you know, I got to a point where I was like, oh, I just, you know, I want to stay so I can listen to this thought but complete it. And I said, okay, I can afford to sit in my car to about 851 and oh still God. make it for this 915 one. So, um, you know, you guys are doing great work and thank you for having me back. I really, truly do appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, James. Uh, Regular listeners may remember uh, James' first appearance on the show was for our Get Out episode. And I would say without a doubt that that is one of my personal all-time favorite episodes Mm -hmm. of the show. That was one of the best discussions we ever had. Uh, I would say in large, if not majority part, thanks to James (laughs) Um, super insightful, thoughtful analysis and contribution. So it's an honor to have you back. And believe me, we're not the only ones who are impressed by you. Um, we got a lot of great feedback on that episode. Yeah, and we, we haven't stopped talking about what a great person you are. So thank you taking your time to come back and be on our little show. So absolutely. Thanks for having me. Really do appreciate it. <laughs> and next up, We've got John. What's going on, John? What's happening, Jacqueline? James, so good to have you back on. And I, I'm going to echo what our fearless leader said, is that we love having you on. We should have had you on earlier, but um, now's as good a time as any, right? So we appreciate you. Absolutely. Check out uh, Tr- Trace Table, the podcast. Unfortunately, I got to catch up on that because I got a brand new phone. And for some reason that my subscriptions for Spotify all got deleted. Oh, man. And so I had to start following a bunch, and I, I've been trying to play catch up with that. So I apologize. I'll catch up this week for sure, though. Well, I tell you what, when you catch up, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I just finished up um, season two. I did mm-hmm. 12 episodes, and of course, I've had a lot of uh, material 
living <laughs> in this state recently, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the teaching of African-American history. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I finished up the season, I said I was going to take a few weeks off, but I may come back earlier than expected, given that uh, <laughs> some People of the things that have you. been happening. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate that. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, really look good. forward to you listening and let me know uh, what you think about oh, the episodes. I appreciate that. For sure. And last but not least, <laughs> we've got Hydraberg. What's going on, Hydraberg? What's going on, guys? John, Jacqueline, James, thanks so much again for coming on. Uh, yeah, your show is incredible. It's very insightful. It's well put together and it's very concise. And I like it. Um, I think you do a good job of bringing things to light that are like could be, you know, they're negative topics, but you bring things and and your talking points and your discussion, the way you, you format your show. It's just like, I don't know. I think it's really good and it can get people involved without realizing that they're getting involved because they start listening to several episodes and then they realize like oh there's a real issue here you know what i mean like um and i think that's there's probably a lot of listeners that you've you've gained that probably you've swayed their opinions on certain things and i think that's like powerful that your podcast you have a platform to do that on so yeah check out trace table it's a great fucking show oh sorry i mean <laughs> and, I'm just I appreciate that. <clears throat> and let me say this to you hydroberg thank you for pushing me to finish a series that I'd started the bear. I tell you, <laughs> when you told me, because obviously I respect all three of you, you know, when you told me, Hey, listen, something's good. And I know it's good. The bear now is honestly my favorite TV show. I'd have to say of all time, especially the second what? season, what you said about that Christmas episode. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's just an incredible show. I don't want to overhype it, but it's good. Oh, absolutely. Just wonderful acting. Just, just such a beautifully well-made show. It's got well, like a magic to it. It's got like all the things, you know, when you, <laughs> you know, when you, you, you witness something like media wise that just has all those things working for it. Yes. And it's, like, and it's rare. We see lots of really mm-hmm. good things, but every once in a while we get like that gem yeah. that does its own thing. You can't describe it. And that's that show to me and a lot of other people. It seems like it's one of those things. Oh, truly. Yeah. So thank Check you so much. I appreciate that. Awesome. Man, I really got to get on that. I just haven't. Same. I haven't. Joey, just. A couple episodes, I think you'll be pulled in by the characters and the writing. All right. Mm-hmm. I hope they're so. easy well, to digest. They're half an hour episodes. There's only a couple that stray from that one. Okay. All right. I'll try. I'll try to convince him. Otherwise, I may just have to go rogue and start. Mm. I love Jack going rogue. Leap time. <laughs> Bear time. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, again, Trey's Table. It's a wonderful podcast. I learn something every single time I listen to it. It's uh, I, w- I would say it's absolutely the most intelligent podcasts that I have in my rotation. So um, if you want to hear James discuss all sorts of uh, very current and important topics, please tune into Trey's Table. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful show. I can't recommend it highly enough. I really can't. Thank you, guys. I re- really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, also, I just wanted to uh, mention one thing. Uh, our friend... Anya from Horror and More with Anya Gore. She just dropped a new episode of her podcast, which is featuring yours truly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we recorded it just a few weeks ago, and the topic of discussion was our shared favorite film of all time, Rosemary's Baby. So <laughs> if that's a film you enjoy and would like to hear us talk about, uh, then this episode is for you. Uh, We also take it a few steps further. Not only do we do a deep dive into the film itself. The sequel? uh, Yes. We also talk about (laughs) the sequel, which I, even as a huge fan of the the original movie, I did not even know the sequel existed until about six weeks ago. And yep, that's 
But it's dubbed that's, as one of the like one of the worst rated movies ever. <laughs> it, I mean, it's it's a movie. Is so. it is it Rosemary's Toddler Two Electric Boogaloo? Oh my god! <laughs> Directed by Rob Zombie. Oh, <laughs> I felt um, like there was a space there and needed to be filled. We briefly talked oh, about. Oh, we honestly don't spend too too much time talking about that because honestly, it's not really deserving yeah. of that. Um, but then finally. We get into another deep discussion about Roman Polanski, mm-hmm. whether he's canceled for his crimes and uh, how we feel about, you know, that awkward position of having a Polanski film as our favorite film. And, yeah, and whether separating, you know, artists from real life. Well, can you and should you and yes, should this oh. still be our favorite movie? So we talk about all those things, uh, which is a tough <clears throat> not to untangle. Uh, and that episode just dropped on Horror and More with Anya Gore. So check it out. That sounds awesome. I can't wait to listen to it because I was just checking it out today to see if I could squeeze it in before the show. And I was like, oh, this is a big one, actually. It's over two hours. So I was like, I'm going to have to wait. Yeah, normally her episodes are a, a lot more concise than that. But she, I mean, she had to know that inviting me on, I'm just going to talk and talk and talk and stretch out. <laughs> no, that's great, though. I mean, because that's a movie not just the subjects that the themes that you said you touched on already. Just you can't just breeze past those things, you know, that deserves to be discussed at, at length. So I yeah. think it's awesome that it's over two hours. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, thanks. Same. It was it was a lot of fun. And it was, I think, an important conversation to have. And, you know, we, we came to some conclusions on some things and some things we didn't. So this. And I, I like Anya sometimes has some really hot takes, but like the two of you guys together in one room or, you know, over Zoom or whatever, just sounds interesting to me because you guys are two of my favorite, like uh, women in podcasting and horror. Like, so. Well, thank you. Yeah, she's yeah. fantastic. I, I, she's one of those people I really wish I could be friends with in real life. Just a wonderful person. We are friends. We are. Well, in real just life. Yeah. I wish we could. So. Well, that's all I've got for th- things to promote. Um, John, do you have any horror news for us? Not very much, and I'm going to need to include you in, on this, Jacqueline. Uh, so I had you guys watch a new teaser trailer that came out. Uh, a, a movie that we didn't think needed a remake or a reboot, but it's coming out. It's called Witchboard. Nice. So you guys saw the trailer, 20 contained. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, well, you say we don't need a remake or a reboot, but uh, I don't know. Just to play the devil's advocate for a second, the original movie is so that maybe it's one of those movies that somebody could actually take and do something good with it, you know, trying it from a different angle or with some more cash or something. I don't know. Yeah, uh, and that's that's the way it felt. I mean, I'll get to Sorry, Hedgeberg, but I just felt that they took it a different direction. So maybe it improved the movie because I mean, it was so lackluster from what 1987 or something like that. Um, it's got more. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, they, they both look like they're made cheaply. Um, both the modern and the new one, to be honest, the modern doesn't look like there's a huge budget. Some of the effects that they show look okay. Um, I know Jacqueline, this, this, that, um, that movie has some semblance with you though. Some meaning, um, that's the episode that made you find a cut above. I mean, um, Straight <laughs> yeah, that's it, that was the first uh, episode that I ever listened to of Straight Chilling, which I can honestly say has literally changed my life. Yeah, so, so if I hadn't found that episode, I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys. So, oh, I thought it was something else. Oh, OK, thank you. Why you were randomly just looking <laughs> for a witchboard episode of a podcast. I don't know, but no, it had just come out. I think it was a Patreon pick and I was following um a facebook group called jacksonville horror oh. 
that and Bob had posted in there. Nice. Oh, so, yeah. So what what did everybody think of the trailer? I was cool with it. I thought the the, the demon actually looked really really cool. It looks like it might be some fun. Agreed. It's intriguing. You know, it. I have maybe not the most scientific test for a trailer, but I always say the last ten seconds or so. You know, when trailers are really well constructed, I think whatever they choose to end on to me says a lot about you know the movie and the last ten seconds or so of the trailer where you know she's reaching for the lights and then all of a sudden you see the arm come out. Yeah. That really intrigued me. So it you know, made me interested. I, I have to be honest. I'd not heard of this film before. Um, I'm learning something new. That's why I always like listening to you guys. I learned something I did not know that Tawny Katane um, <laughs> made a movie. She's been firmly embedded in my memory is that woman in the, in white, the, white, the snake white snake videos. Video. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I need to go back and reevaluate her cultural impact because I see now that she was an actress that has. You see, motivated. Oh, that radio show back in the day, Cincinnati or whatever it was. What? Uh, there was that radio show, it was a sitcom in the eighties. Oh, something WKRP. Yeah, WKRP she was in that in Cincinnati. Yeah, she was. She was in that. <clears throat> oh wow! As well, okay. I believe, as an actress. Yeah. Okay. See, see, James, you learn important life. I'm telling you, I, I am telling so, you, this you know, is going she, to be a Tawny Katane trivia category. If I ever make another Jeopardy, candy Tawny Katane. Tawny Katane in your in your movie, you know. File that away. Again. Absolutely. Here I go again on my own. On my own. No. That's right. <laughs> now it's stuck in my head. Oh, goodness. Uh, R.I.P. Like a drifter, John. You were born to walk alone. <laughs> I've always thought of John as a drifter. Yeah. And I made up my mind to walk alone. Wasting no more time. Here we yeah. go again. Here we go again. Can we do like a white snake retrospective of how good that man no i'm just kidding (laughs) anyway all right yeah yeah um hydroberg you were mentioning some of the effects in that trailer some of them look rather bobo i must say yeah the arm coming out of the bed looks okay there's a couple that look like if you looked at them from any other angle you would see the strengths like the cgi (laughs) look sort of you know don't look over here (laughs) look right here I mean, yeah, it's not troll too cheap, but I mean. Oh yeah, my you're, you're god! Right. Oh my god! Oh, I love that scene. Um, have you seen Best Worst Movie? That's the it's actual doc- name of the movie, right? Yeah, it, the title of the movie is Best Worst Movie. It's a documentary about Troll Two. Oh yeah, I watched it. I watched it when I listened to the boys' episode on Troll Two. Yeah, it's actually oh. a really good documentary. It's yeah, pretty charming. Say. Okay. Yo, uh, James, I wouldn't waste your time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if you're. If, I don't know if, like, I know you like horror movies, but I don't know if you're like Troll Two type of horror fan. Like, I don't know if you want. You have a lot of, you know, you don't have a lot of time on your hands, so I, I'm not sure you can waste an hour and a half on Troll Two. But let me let me see. Let me suggest Poultry Geist, Night no. of the Living Chicken. No. no not- <laughs> I mean, if anything, watch the documentary that Jacqueline mentioned. You might actually enjoy that. Yeah. More. Yeah, definitely. That's what I'll do. Yeah, that's what I recommend. I did not recommend Troll 2. I recommended Best Worst Movie. And you don't need to have seen Troll 2 to enjoy Best Worst Movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. T- time is precious and life is short. Let's not like, let's not waste it. Let us do that for you, James. We we can watch those movies for you. So you watch you it and then I can tune in on the podcast to get yeah. a you know, 45 minute summary of it and decide whether or not I want to invest the extra time. Exactly. John, what else you got for us? Well, I need your help, like I said, Jacqueline, on this one. Uh, you went to go see the movie Oppenheimer. Did, did you I, enjoy yourself? I absolutely enjoyed myself. Yes, I did. So, great movie. Uh, no spoilers, but yeah, great movie, right? <laughs> no I will spoilers. Spoil, 
but it was a great movie. Um, <laughs> it was a great movie. Um, it, I don't even want to say too much, but it, it was great. And the performances were absolutely stellar. Jacqueline, do I have to have watched part one to understand what was happening in Oppenheimer? <laughs> uh, just watch the documentary. Oppenheimer 2, Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo. Uh, atomic Boogaloo. Atomic. Oh, yes. atomic. Yes. Yeah. There you yeah, go. I like that. Well played. So, Jacqueline, Robert did you Downey get... good in there? <laughs> exactly. Did you get there early enough to see the trailers? I did. Yes. I do not like to miss trailers. I get very grumpy if people make me late to the movies because I have to see the trailers. Okay. So, uh, The Exorcist, Believer, that was tied to Oppenheimer, the yeah, new David Gordon Green movie that he's remaking another trilogy of, of a classic horror movie uh, produced by Blumhouse. Um, you saw that trailer, correct? I did. Thoughts? Well, you can't see me right now, but I am cradling my head in my hands. So <laughs> in despair. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sorry, but the trailer does not look great to me there are a couple of moments near the beginning of the trailer that uh that look intriguing and then honestly it kind of goes downhill and starts looking very generic and um not interesting to me so i'm i'm not hopeful is is what i'll say perhaps one of the individuals on this podcast got a free screening of it maybe can we say can can we let that cat out of the bag yet so no, I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody has seen a pre-screening of it. I but, definitely yeah. haven't seen a pre-screening of it. I don't think anybody's seen a pre-screening. I definitely didn't like enjoy it a little bit, but you know, because I didn't see anything. Mm. But right, I heard there was okay. a pre-screening, like not far from where I live. Right, maybe mm-hmm. in the northeast somewhere. It was yeah, around there, yeah, that, that general area. Oh, well. Okay. But- it comes out i i would like to see it because i want to have a fully formed uh opinion of it but just based on the trailer ugh. i mean if it's do anything get... like his halloween films it's gonna have some of the aesthetics that we do like from that series sure He's capable uh, of doing that it's gonna have some decent directing and some probably some scares but mm-hmm. it's gonna most likely fall short compared to you know to miss the mark because it's based on a, like a huge title probably better off just being its own separate thing than being connected at all to the Exorcist franchise. Well, I think that the the trilogy was offered to David Gordon Green based on the financial, if not artistic, success mm-hmm. of the new Halloween trilogy. So I don't think he like approached anybody and was like, I'm dying to do a reboot of... Yeah, I have a treatment. I suspect he was approached to do it the same way that Rob Zombie was asked to do his remake of his Halloween 2. Damn, that's why we should Really, which he didn't really want to do. And so right. I, I expect that it's a lot like that. Um, I will say I do like that Ellen Burstyn it, appeared in the trailer. So I like that she's in the new movie. Um, she's a fantastic actress and I, I look forward to seeing her. But um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm sure we'll all be it and talking about it. I, it's probably going to be one of the biggest topics of conversation in the horror community when it comes out. So, yeah, I, I'm curious from James though, I, you've seen the original Halloween or the first couple of movies, right? I have. Okay. Are you a fan of them? Absolutely. I mean, okay. Classic did you, horror films. Love them. Did you see the Blumhouse trilogy, David Gordon Green? Did you see did any not. of those movies? Okay. I did not. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away just because I actually watched Halloween ends. I know he's very disgusted, 
just because it's my favorite movie of all time, Halloween 1978. I love, love, love that movie. And it just felt like, oh, I'll hold my opinion. Uh, and maybe you can do something with The Exorcist. I don't know. I was just very disappointed. And I watched it, Halloween ends again. I'm like, maybe I missed something. Maybe there's just some, there's some meat on that bone and it just wasn't there. It just, it was like blasphemous for me. And I'm telling you, um, what you said is the reason why, you know, I haven't watched a lot of the sequels. <clears throat> I, I just think there are very few sequels that are good. I mean, I just hate to say it. I think sometimes, you know, maybe one, two at most. And then after that, I think you've used up a lot of the ideas and you really haven't. You don't bring much to the table. I've talked to people who've seen, you know, the last few Halloween movies. And I think it was just more so nostalgia as opposed to, oh, wow, this is a really mm-hmm. good film. Right. I think that only carries you, you know, so far. You yeah. know, I like to watch these movies in theaters. And so, you know, the effort, the time and the money, you know, I want to make sure that it's certainly something that I'm going to enjoy. And I, I just I've not met anyone who said, oh, you know, the last two or three Halloween films were incredible. They were great. I think sometimes they're just classics the first and second time. And I just prefer to, you know, leave it at that. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. I agree with everything both of you guys just said. Yep. All right. Uh, well, is that it for news, John? Uh, yes, ma'am, it is. But um, you picked the movie this week, Bug, from, you said 2007. I kept reading con- contradicting yeah, reports. It was five uh, or I, six, yeah. I believe it was, re- it showed at Con um, in 2006 and had its national American release in early 2007. So I think either is correct. I just, I usually go by when it was like, available to the, the public you know i always not go by imdb which is i guess a lot of times they will list the screening that's at a, like a can mm-hmm. right. okay, okay so anyways you picked bug from 2007 why did you pick this movie this was a movie that i've been thinking about since we started the podcast it's one that i saw right right around the time it became available on dvd so that probably would have been 2007 and it's one that's just really stuck with me over the years. Um, it's very interesting. It has some unique things about it that I thought would make for a good discussion. And honestly, I just wanted to know what you guys thought about it. So um, that's pretty much it. It's it's been on my short list for a long time, and I thought, well, what the hell? It's time. It's time to do it. <laughs> um, so shall we decide whether it fucks or sucks? Yes. All right. Go ahead, Jacqueline. Does this movie fuck or suck? <laughs> This movie absolutely fucks, but afterwards you might be questioning whether you're losing your mind. (laughs) So, yep. James, what do you think? Uh, This movie absolutely fucks. And I will tell you, I saw it when it came out uh, in 2007. Uh, Watched it again, I want to say around 2013, 2014. But it was a very unique experience, though before watching it again for this, you know, in preparation for this podcast, but I watched it during the pandemic. Mm. And I think that was probably a big mistake. (laughs) Because (laughs) this was a period of time where I think I, like a lot of people, was incredibly paranoid. You know, Mm -hmm. we thought this was the end of American civilization, the end of the world. And I think like everyone, you know, I got to that point where I'd reached the end of the Netflix queue and Netflix said, hey, (laughs) go check out prime video or someplace else you've watched everything here and so i watched bug again exactly and it was um let's just say a lot of the themes that i'm sure we'll get into later uh they were very interesting to think about and explore during uh, a global pandemic absolutely definitely definitely fornicates (laughs) okay (laughs) 
Hyderberg, what say you? Like Michael Shannon bouncing around the bed in a motel room, picking at imaginary bugs. This film is a fuck, but it's a somewhat flaccid one. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. John? Yes. Uh, wow. I, I'm actually leaning. I, I thought about an analogy for this. Is like my my first like serious girlfriend at 16 years old. I lost my virginity too, and it was a fi- it, it was 15 minutes of heaven. It was like like the first 14 minutes were like, what is going on here? And that last minute was like, oh, boom goes the dynamite. Oh my god. And, so I'm I'm with Hydraberg a little bit. I, I it, I'm gonna say it's flaccid until that last part of the movie. John, you know I I learn more and more about you every week. It's really it's a treasure to find out all these intimate. <laughs> I was surprised I last 15 minutes. I mean, but it was like 14 yeah. going. Wait, what the fuck is going on here? And then the last one was, oh yeah, this is wonderful. Okay, thank wonderful. you for into your personal history. <laughs> Uh, that girl's name was no i'm just kidding oh yeah let's air it all out uh john you want to drop that spoiler warning oh yeah yeah we're talking we're talking about bug from 2007 in its entirety if you have not seen this movie pause the podcast go watch it then come back to find out what we thought about it please do uh hydraberg do you have a reach around plot summary for us i do i have a reach around plot summary ready to go wear gloves please it's okay. itchy. Put some calamine lotion on. <laughs> as I give you a reach on. Uh, you guys ready? Yep. Yep. <clears throat> a life unsure where it stands. Her psyche scarred by an abusive man. As guilted takes her by the hand. She drinks and drugs at every chance. A victim of her own happenstance. A friend in Peter a second chance. A veteran with a song and dance. Who sees through things beyond a glance. A story with layers like an onion. From the bedroom to the kitchen and even the oven. Bugs manifest as our strangers make sweet loving. A turning point was their sexual exchange, as mechanical cicadas fly over and scramble their brains. Now Peter is beginning to sound quite deranged. When they fucked, Agnes must have loosened a screw to believe Peter's rants are valid and true. Dozens of fly traps made out of glue amid a motel room bathed in blue. A perfect example of foley adieu. Two people whose minds tandemly spoil, and a room set on fire with gas and oil. Every square inch covered in foil, through deep stages of paranoia and guilt. A parasitic relationship was built. Two psyches pushed to the hilt. As lights and fire come from above, this tale boils down to a mother's love and a stranger's obsession with a bug. <laughs> was well so done. Good. That was so, so good. I think that's one of your... Brilliant as always. Thank you. Yeah, I think you gave this movie a lot of class with that too. <laughs> Got a little French in there. Fole adieu. When I was doing a little research... I saw that that's a um, that means a psychosis, which is delusional beliefs and hallucinations are sh- sh- shared by between two. people. I mean, what could be a more appropriate phrase than that? Yeah, I like that. And I coming like, out next year, coming out next year, it's Hydraberg's Reach Around Coffee Table Book. Oh, I know that's definitely a goal. We need one. Uh, so I just want to mention real quick before we start getting into it, this the, trigger warnings. Well, no, I mean, no, we, we've dropped okay. the spoiler. It's all fair game now, but I just wanted to mention the the reason I initially even was interested in seeing this movie at the time it came out was that it was directed by William Friedkin. And speaking mm-hmm. of Exorcist, as we just mm-hmm. were, you know, the same director. And so it that was intriguing to me because there was such a time lapse between The Exorcist and this movie. Um, I wanted to see, you know, that was that was my original impetus for seeing the movie in the first place. It was like, oh, what is he going to do? 
And I think it's so interesting that there are, I see some parallels between The Exorcist and this movie, um, but they're also very different in, in many ways as well. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that there's a lot of like single location yeah. work, like a, a lot, like the horror is really concentrated in mainly one place in both of those movies. Um, this one is for a different reason. Um, the screenplay was actually written by Tracy Letts um, because he wrote the the play that this was based on. I hadn't known before yesterday that this was based on a play. Mm-hmm. So just wanted to throw that out there. And we've been talking about The Exorcist. So wow, the parallels. Uh, yeah, the single room location, the, the the fact how the room changes over time throughout the story and gets worse mm-hmm. and worse, just like the Reagan's room. Yeah, there's like the decay that happens in the physical space that I think reflects the decay that's happening in the main characters now of course in the exorcist that's like a spiritual and physical decay mm-hmm. and here like a mental and physical decay but mostly mental well this this movie was an hour and what 46 minutes about yeah. that it just seems like there was a lot of cuts in this movie because they took there's they some took weird a, cuts a, 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 seriously and it's just a, it, like the the character build of all the i mean because there's not very many characters in this movie and yeah. You know, they they really built that up, but it's just like something was lost in between because it jumps from this, you know, um, um, two broken people um, just really messed up from relationships or, or whatever their circumstances what were because what Peter was a he was a, a veteran, you know, in the yeah, Gulf War. And it's like, you know, these are two. Or was he? Like, I don't in, know for sure. That's so that, true, but I, that's what they built up to. Yeah. Um, it was just two broken people that found each other, and it was just like this. I, I think I, I heard an interview with Michael Shannon talking about this. He was talking like, like I thought this was a love story, but it's called Bug, you know? There is yeah. some romanticism to it, uh, but it's, you know, like you said, there's this odd dependency that they establish with each other. That's right. And well, my, and my point was is that, that, that they build the, these characters up in this, in this, you know, kind of, you know, you feel for them big time. And then all of a sudden it t- turns on its head and it's just like, no, he's psycho and she's believing it. And then. So there's that, this- there's a moment where like Shannon walks out of the room and does something and goes to the trash. And there's like this quick cut that felt like, at least on Pluto, it felt like a commercial break, which was weird. Yeah, I saw that too. I think that's I think that is Pluto because whenever I've watched this movie in the past, um, which I think has always been on physical media, that has never happened. I think Pluto some weird and I just felt like, am I watching this on the wrong site? But then there's moments that like are really cool. Like in the very beginning, we get the phone ringing, nobody's there. Like that's always an ominous thing in any movie, right? When the phone rings, Mm -hmm. nobody's on the other end. It's just kind of creepy. It sets a good tone. And then, mm-hmm. like, we, we get that early image on of the foil room with the dead body, but we have no context to it. And that's just kind of shocking. And there's like a zoom in shot of like a blade image, like fading as we're zooming in on the hotel, the motel from like mm-hmm. really far. And there's like the, the faint noise of a like bug flap, like wink as if they were. There's a cool blend, I think, of machinery and bug as we're zooming in on this hotel that sort of just looks like it's randomly placed some, somewhere like in the the depths of like United States hell. Yeah. I don't know where it's, it's Oklahoma, but it just looks like out there. Yeah. So I, I think Heidelberg, you brought up an interesting point, which is there's a lot that we don't know in this movie. And th- there's a lot that we don't know whether we can take it at face value or not. We don't yeah, actually, both narrators are unreliable. They are. Um, and so mm-hmm. we can't even necessarily trust what we see with our eyes in this movie because 
we're seeing everything through the eyes of, of our characters, primarily Ashley Judd. So for for instance, there are a couple different moments where Peter and Agnes are inside the, the motel room and they hear approaching helicopter blades um, mm-hmm. or, or insect wings, but it's very loud and the room starts shaking and it looks like a earthquake. I mean, it looks like the room's going to come apart. But you you don't really know whether that's real or imagined, and I think in what that happens a couple of times. The first and, time it happens is after they have sex and then have an argument, and he leaves, and yeah. she gets upset because she feels connected to him because she's alone. She doesn't want to be alone, and he right. comes back and talks to her through the the door, the bathroom door, and talks to her about some of the things that have been done to him. And as she opens the door, you can hear the helicopter at his side of the, but it's not necessarily on her side. And then right. when she opens the door, she sees a bug on him, even though. She didn't previously, she automatically says there's something on your head and she pulls it off. And then everything becomes like the same. It's like the same hallucination all of a sudden, like they're sharing the same hallucination now, like she's given into it. It's it's a cool blend of like just very subtle when she opens the door, comes into the room and kind of her mind gives into his hallucination. And then now they're sharing it. And then that's when the helicopter gets really loud for the first time and shakes the room. Well, and so the, what's interesting about that, you're absolutely right. But what I think is absolutely genius about that is that William Friedkin is making us have the, like we're having this hallucination or delusion too, or like we're experiencing it with the characters and we don't know that it, whether it's real or not. So it's I, th- I think that's a brilliant device that he uses repeatedly throughout the whole film. Yeah, and I think you're I think you're inclined to want to put everything on Shannon's character at first, like Peter, because you're like, oh, well, he's obviously not all there. But then we find, you know, like Agnes is not, she's got a substance issue. She's drinking and drugging every day. She's uh, plagued by guilt and just like almost not there. You know, she does her thing. She gets up and goes to work. But other than that, like she keeps herself and this connection she grows with Shannon is is odd. But I don't know. It's like it works for both of them. And I think we. Ju- I just want to give kudos to, I think Judd does a phenomenal job acting wise in this movie. And you, you pick it up early on. Like I knew it right away. Yeah, I've uh, always had a crush on her. I did oh my too. goodness! And it's cool I mean, to see her like downplay. Yeah, yeah. I think this was an impressive role for her, um, and I, I feel like this is kind of an underrated role of hers and an underrated movie Great. overall. Um, but she had previously been sort of like an America's sweetheart type of thing, where she was in these romantic comedies and these very mainstream films. And this is a very raw, like hard to watch unglamorous role <laughs> film for her to be in and i give her a lot of credit for that i think it was a, a pretty courageous undertaking on her part i agree with that jacqueline i agree with the point of like her her being like vulnerable and trying to like get her comeuppance but then she gets vulnerable again you know because she's dependent on somebody so the only reason the only thing i disagree with is that ashley judd's roles where she was a victim you know it was like I, mean, I, I hate to say this word, but like a revenge porn type thing where she would always get revenge on the on the people that did her wrong, which was great. I mean, it was fantastic to see, but it, it almost like like during that what late 90s, early 2000s, where she was really getting typecast as that, you know, mm. starting out. Oh, as you meant, I, I thought you were talking about this film. I, yeah, you meant other roles that she's done. Yeah, like, yeah, like her like roles the before girls, that. Jeopardy, and, and I I think she was uh, America's sweetheart because everybody <clears throat> loved her and they they still love her. I mean, everything that she does, but I, it's like, yeah, I saw her role as, as something unique, something like like she is 
that shattered to where it's just like, you know, she's so dependent on somebody else where these other roles, she's, she's a stronger woman. I think shattered is a really good actual word that you just used. Oh, hell yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Double jeopardy. Kiss the girls. No, I just mean her character in this, like her, her character is kind of shattered. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, the character of Agnes. Yeah. Um, James. <laughs> okay. I, 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 Jacqueline went out for a second. Um, yeah, I'll be very honest with you. For me, what attracted me to the film was the political aspect. And the reason I say that is because um, the play, I was familiar with the play, then came out in 1996. And doing some reading at the time, you know, the playwright said that he wanted to explore the prevalence of you know conspiracies that had sprung up as a result of the Clinton conspiracy. People refer to it as a Clinton conspiracy. I call it the Clinton presidency. But, you know, if you look at the film, a lot of the things that they talk about were conspiracy theories that started to gain traction during his presidency. So, for example, the black helicopters, right? Helicopters is something that you see in the film. The whole notion of testing, um, testing on subjects, testing on soldiers, also veterans and the difficulty that they were having coming back to the United States. You know, it seems as if we've been in wars forever in this country, but, you know, we forget about the sort of first big Gulf War, which started what, mm-hmm. during the original Bush presidency. Yeah. And then you had a lot of those troops coming back to the United States and trying to reintegrate into American society and encountering a lot of difficulty during Clinton's presidency. So I've seen some people when they write about the movie, not discussing the movie as a piece of horror or a psychological thriller. But a movie talking about sort of the descent into madness that we've seen uh, at some point in our political culture when people become victims of conspiracy theories. Mm. And so Agnes, the character, is sort of a stand in for maybe a kind of, you know, middle American, white, working class female who is obviously being beaten down by life. Right. She's had this tragedy with her child. Obviously, the victim of domestic abuse, uh, working a job that's not rewarding in any way, financially, emotionally, professionally, and someone who would be ripe for manipulation by Shannon's character, Peter. And the one thing that struck me, not just about the play, but also the movie, is this, unless I'm missing something, we are never given the opportunity to verify anything that he says. Nah. Everything that he says sounds compelling. Right, that he's a veteran, you know, that he's being followed, that he was tested, experimented on, that he has these bugs, but there's never verification of that. And I always saw the movie as an excellent examination of the danger of falling into these types of relationships with people who have compelling stories, can tell you things that help you maybe organize some of the pain and the chaos that you're experiencing in your life. But the ultimate final effect is going to be mutual destruction, mutual descent into madness, and mutual ruin. And so, you know, when I watched it that second time, excuse me, um, during the pandemic, my God, I remember thinking to myself, this is where we are now, you know, as a nation, you know, people who, and let's not forget, you know, during those first few months of the pandemic, it seems like a decade ago, but think of all the things that people were thinking at the time that this was a bioweapon that had been launched by China, that this was something that was launched by the Democratic Party 
to try to mess with President Trump's political prospects. Um, you know, there were a lot of people, I can tell you, you know, being very active, you know, in politics here in the African American and the Hispanic community, there are a number of people who thought that this was something that was um, being launched to engage in ethnic genocide. And so during the pandemic, a lot of people were like Agnes's character, stuck at home, jobless, financially distraught. And so they turned to online sources to get some answers. And so you had YouTube videos like Plandemic or a lot of popular you know, radio hosts who I think almost started to form the same type of relationship with their listeners like Peter formed with Agnes in this movie. And there are a lot of people who I think descended into madness just like she did. So, um, you know, yes, I know it's definitely a horror podcast and it's a psychological thriller. But for me, I think that the political dimensions of this movie are quite interesting, also historical. And I think it's an excellent snapshot of a time in America where a significant portion of our population and a significant portion of our body politic was motivated by these conspiracy theories and made a lot of decisions based upon these conspiracies. And that, for me, I think is, is, for me, the most interesting aspect of the film. And then, of course, the ending. I mean, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about it, but the ending, if there is a, a weak point in the film, for me, it's the ending. Because I feel like maybe they thought, well, hey, we have to do something here that's going to spur discussion. But I'm just not sure if that ending really does it. It just seems like a jarring almost sort of put in afterwards part of the film that really didn't flow for me. Uh, yeah. So your political uh, theory definitely checks out. I mean, I think that's, there's, there's all that there for sure. Um, I've also heard theories of the bugs being like a metaphor too, for like technology invading our lives and, you know, be, we, we becoming dependent on it um, every day. Uh, the more and more it's introduced to our lives, you know, just like he thought the bugs were implanted in him and the way they spread to um, Ashley Judd's character. And, you know, they brought some joy at some point, but at the same time, it's like they're basically parasites that are taking everything from you. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But yeah, I like I, I like your theory a lot, too, about um, it speaking on like late 90s politics, especially. Absolutely. Uh, James, did you say that that was Tracy Letts who talked about that? theme in the story or was that freaking uh let's okay let's yeah and and i'll send that to you actually because okay so the original body of work yeah the original body of work yeah so i think the film was more so focused on the psychological and horror aspect but i think you know the play you know obviously you know didn't have the opportunity to have a lot of those effects because it's on a stage and i think it's more so an examination Mm -hmm. of a few things mental illness but also to the the ease with which conspiracy theories can spread yeah. and not just infect an individual, but a society as a whole and lead to, you know, very bad results. Right. Yeah. It's like a, a viral contagion. Yeah. yeah. I, and James, I, I love what you said. I, I, it puts a lot of perspective for me watching it again. I kind of took out the, the, the pandemic of what was going on. And what I saw was like a lot of codependency of any any relationship you know it's just it it felt like that's kind of maybe the focus of the director however you know all these other things that were going on around because this movie was beautifully acted there oh, there absolutely. were no no problems with the acting but it just it, like for me it's just taking myself out of that just because you know we've been buried in it for three years with a pandemic i just kind of went 
okay, this is kind of where I see it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it kind of it, it definitely makes me appreciate this movie more. Sure. Hearing that perspective, I think it could be seen all those those ways if you want to. I mean, oh, absolutely. Dependency, dependency in general, dependency on technology, dependency on each other, dependency on our government, um, mm-hmm. alcohol, so, drugs, things exactly. like that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, there's so many different levels of dependency that one can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how it can affect you. Uh, like the first thing, the first bug that they think they hear is a cricket. Right? They track it down to what the fucking smoke, smoke alarm, and he kills it. He he bashes the smoke alarm. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, the the mechanical bug is dead, or is it? You know what I mean? And then they obviously their um, their manic, you know, you know, state just kind of worsens throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And Hydroberg, you bringing up the the magic eight ball. I wonder if there was some sort of significance to that. Yeah, I don't know. She the, looked at it like at least once. I, I yeah. took it like almost like a clue that this seemingly unimportant incident is a harbinger of things mm. to come. Because the, the eight ball, you know, the magic eight ball, it's a toy that what is, you know, supposedly tells you your future answers some question. So I took that as a harbinger. Like that was the first small incident that's that's going to be the first of an increasing, you know, out of control descent that's that's going to happen. But at the time, we don't know that, you know, if it's the first time you've watched it, it seems like a harmless little incident, um, you know, unimportant. But so that, so that that's how I took the magic eight ball. But um, James, I kind of wanted to circle back a little bit sure. to, to what you were talking about. And I think that that dynamic between, you know, individuals or between individual people or between an individual person and a larger group of people or a whole society, I, th- I think that that is reflected in the, the relationship between Agnes and Michael Shannon. And to me, that's one of the most interesting aspects of the film i haven't had the privilege of being able to see the the play but within the film i think that the the dynamic between the two of them and how it shifts over time is so so interesting and with you talking about that context of this being or this this being intended as sort of a metaphor for how conspiracy theories can spread i think makes it even more fascinating um so for instance when we first meet Agnes, we know that she's a broken person. And and I think that the filmmaker uh, is very skilled in giving us, you know, information about her, showing us information about her, um, but not taking too long with it. You know, a a few simple strokes show us, you know, what her life is like. Mm -hmm. And I believe that unfolds, especially as we see her interact with her ex-husband, played by Harry Connick Jr., who I love. and she's trying to act like, you know, a tough girl who's got it all under control. But we know that that's not true, that she really doesn't have like a stable mooring in her life. And Michael Shannon, when we're first introduced to his character, he seems kind of like a quiet, harmless, awkward man. Like he yeah. seems like totally innocuous. Right. And she kind of takes charge of the relationship at, at first. She's kind of guiding the conversation and sort of driving things along like oh you can stay here if you want to where do you have to stay and you know what's your history and he opens up to her and she kind of seems like she is like slightly more in control of this social interaction between them but as the film goes on this is the part that i think is really interesting he really becomes more and more domineering and more assertive and more aggressive in the relationship Similar to her other relationship uh, like semi-abusive in a sense too well in a, in a way i mean not definitely not as directly but he's definitely yeah. like 
he's definitely like preaching to her and there's a there's an air of condescension towards her when he's like trying to like tell her how to think and tell her like yeah, you put the, like infecting her with his it's like stuff. it's like, he has this air of like i know all the answers and now i like i need to get you to put them together you know um and she becomes as you said hydroberg totally dependent on him to the point that there's like no veneer at all of like toughness on her part she yeah. she gets progressively more hysterical and, and almost whiny at moments it's she becomes almost like kind of sniveling i mean with good reason i mean that things are completely falling apart around her but it's like she starts looking to him for all the answers like even though her faculties are telling her that these things that he's saying are not real she's looking at the bed sheets and saying i don't see what you're talking about but his um his his conspiracies his like delusions are so convincing yeah and because she's in such a weakened like frame of mind already james as you as you explained before she's ripe for like absorbing these just nonsensical things that he's throwing at her because it gives her it gives her answers that she so desperately wants she like doesn't want to deny them and insult him so she kind of plays along and then convinces herself at one point exactly she because like i believe that she really thinks she sees these things by the end does at one point yes she's looking for all the answers by the end she's not even saying i don't see this she's saying well what are we gonna do and why do they lay the egg sacs there and why did this happen and it's like she's just all in and it's like she he's like her leader all of a sudden feels like she has this kind this, of codependency built into her too and and several of her relationships already before this well then, i wouldn't say i would say like conditioned into her by her life experiences well yeah yeah i'm saying like yeah it's obviously it's not a good thing it's like you said it's been conditioned to her mainly through probably through abuse through abusive relationships like with um jerry abuse and poverty and yeah. isolation and it, Seems like it starts when they have intercourse. Like that's where there's a transference there. Where it's a it's a gross and beautiful scene when they make love. And there's like mm-hmm. scenes of sweaty bodies, like you know, different bodily fluids, and we see her nipples up close. And there's like a moment where they're changing positions, and then it looks like we see possibly larvae or a blood mm-hmm. transfusion real quick. Yeah. And then yeah, that's like it, there's like a transformation that happened there, an infestation or something that happened in that moment. There's a line in the movie that really sticks with me. Or down here, I want to make sure that I quote it exactly. Where Agnes says to Peter, "I'd rather talk with you about bugs than about nothing with nobody." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that really stuck with me because I think it goes back again to. I talked with a friend of mine. She's a you know scholar of feminism, and she says this movie could also be viewed as an example of how men gaslight, manipulate commit violence against women and ultimately destroy them. Mm-hmm. And the first thing is you find your target and she's the perfect target for this. She's a woman who has an emotional void. Um, she's been the victim of abuse already. Um, she's stressed out and along comes this mysterious individual and whatever the bond is between the two of them, at least there's something you can sense that there's great loneliness there on her part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that for me, you know, struck me the first time, you know, watching and then again in preparation for this because <clears throat> pretty bleak surroundings, you know, I mean, you get the impression that all of these people are miserable, you know, mm-hmm. Harry Connick Jr. Character, her ex, RC, exactly. And, 
you know, that for me is something that I thought about a lot too as well in the pandemic and even now. You know, one of the reasons why, <clears throat> excuse me, what you guys do I think is so good and so important is that you give people a chance to see what friendship and community can do for people. You know, the three of you are united by your love for and, you know, the beauty of your podcast. It's like listening to a great conversation and feeling like you're a part of it. You don't feel like you're an outsider. When I listen to it, I feel like, hey, I'm there. And a lot of people don't have that, though. I mean, you'd be surprised, yeah. or maybe not, just how many lonely people there are in the United States, you know, people who don't have things like regular dinner companions or people that they can go bowling with or work out with, you know, all of their interactions. Just talk about a movie. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Or even go to the movies with, you know, they're yeah. online. And so, you know, there's this danger that when you do come into contact with someone, that desire for companionship, just to have a warm body there to have someone can blind you to, you know, thousands of red flags that any person would see upon mm -hmm. meeting someone like Peter. And I'm not saying that, you know, you should reject someone who's had some issues and so forth. But uh, I think it's obvious to us, you know, if we're red flags like there the him, first night. Absolutely. 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 And, and why so, did RC even leave him there? Like, why would you leave him with your friend? Because right. he was, he right. was gaslighting late, everybody. So I don't think he... He was, I don't think he was because, gaslighting everybody, to be well, honest. I do. Well, like, the one thing is, is that he, he, what was his, like, greatest qualities? He was polite. I think he was mentally oh. ill. And I think, James, yeah. I think there's some validity to your feminist uh, theory. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily agree with it because I don't think Michael Shannon is necessarily meant to. I don't think he's evil on the onset. Like, I think there's this weird codependency that they generate right away where. She wants sure. to treat somebody nice because she lost her son. Nobody's there for her. She doesn't mm -hmm. have a good male mm -hmm. in her life. This guy's very polite, yes, and awkward. And there's more to him that we find out. But and and she's willing to, like you said, she's willing to listen to him. Nobody listens to him. So like she's willing, like, I would rather talk to you about bugs than somebody else that I don't care about about anything. So like right. the fact that all he talks about is bugs and this this woman is still interested in him. Is like I, it's, well, it kind of fuels the flames of his conspiracy and his paranoia because obviously yeah, but he also <laughs> brings up that it was the government that took your son away, and it's just like right. what? Well, because well, he's going off at a tangent, he's ill, and and yeah. she's not all there either. So can well, I say? Um, <laughs> yeah. First of all, I agree. I I hesitate to say that he's gaslighting her because I think yeah, I don't that think suggests like in like deliberate intent to do that and i agree with hydraberg he's if there's one thing we do know about peter it's that he's ill right mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty much the only thing that we really can know about him and the the only person who really seems to know anything about him is dr sweet so we know he's mentally ill we know he has a doctor that's really the only thing that is that kind of doctor though well, his therapist or something so he smokes crack i don't know what like well, yeah <laughs> well okay well somebody is trying okay uh, all right fair point so we don't even really know that I'm that's his saying, doctor. i don't really know but i think that i think that we can reasonably conclude that he's mentally ill so i hesitate to mm -hmm. to to suggest that he's gaslighting her um but back to what you guys were saying about this, you know, t taking a feminist reading of this film and how it's, you know, it can be read as uh, a story about how men, you know, sort of uh, target women and, and can ultimately destroy them. I, I mean, I see your point, Hydraberg. I don't know that he like specifically was trying to destroy her. So, I mean, that I don't know if like literally that one. But he's still capable of it. So, yeah, I could see that. 
I, I think that that could be a metaphorical reading of this yeah. story. And then you get Jerry, who's just a straight up, you know, dickhead male. Yeah, this can be like an kind of a like an avatar, like a, a, a representation of how men can just destroy women. So I absolutely see the validity of a feminist reading of this. But to zero in on kind of a finer point and to kind of go along with um, a more feminist lens here, you guys were just saying, you know, nobody really listens to him. He ha- he has to like he wants to talk about these things with somebody like it's it's horrible. I think. You know, I, I've never been a, a schizophrenic, but I can imagine that if you have these thoughts in your head that, and you believe these conspiracy theories about the government trying to target people and experiment on soldiers and there are bugs everywhere, mm-hmm. that's got to be terrifying, right? Like if you truly believe those things, that's a terrifying thing to live with. And so what's the most relief you could get to share this with somebody, to talk about it with somebody, to get somebody to listen about it. Yeah. And, valid, and validate the things that mm-hmm. you're saying. And so he needs somebody who's going to be credulous, you know, somebody who's going to listen to what he says and believe him and get on board with it. So one thing that I do think fits in with kind of this um, uh, feminist bent, you know, if you, if you want to look at it that way with this movie, is that I do think that there are a lot of men out there. And I, I can say this because it happens to me all the time. Men out there who want to engage strange women in conversation to talk about themselves, um, like in public places, and and they like they know that women will be a more receptive ear to them than another man. I'm a person who is very comfortable doing things alone and going out in public by myself, and I can't tell you how many times in my life, personally, I have been cornered in public places by men who want to hold court and like give me these long monologues about themselves and their ideas about these things that I never asked for. Um, and I think- it, looking it, for a woman to, to validate them. Yeah, look for yeah. attention. I think it can mm-hmm. be like a ego boost, validation of their thoughts and ideas, yeah. validation of their ideas of self-importance. Now, there are some women who won't stand for this, I think of myself as like a pretty polite person. And I also would say that I'm pretty conflict averse um, to a fault, actually. And so I'm a pretty easy target for stuff like that, because it would take a lot for me to like, get rude with somebody and be like, look, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. There have been times that I that I've gotten to that point. But I've also wasted a lot of hours of my life. Like, listening to these men who just want to talk and talk and talk. And so I do. I don't go to bars a lot because of (laughs) men like that, because they talk to other men also about shit like that. It's like, I'm not that drunk, bro. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear it. I I said it's far common for, for women to be sort of like, uh, yeah. Like that. Um, because I think we're more likely to be polite and less likely to be like, get the fuck out of my face. Mm -hmm. uh, Jacqueline, that's, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. Oh, no, but, much. Yeah, I, no, I was going to say, I think that's an interesting point. And I think, listen, if I'm be very frank and honest here, I have someone, a family member, not a close family member, but just, just someone who doesn't have the degree of madness that Peter has, but is very attached to conspiracy theories. You know, this mm-hmm. person gets into all the stuff about... <clears throat> You know, people being lizards underneath and the Bilderberg conspiracies, you know, and all of this stuff. Which mm-hmm. they mentioned in this. Tough. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and that's tough because how do you deal with a situation where it's a family member that, you know, you don't want to avoid all the calls. You don't want to send all the calls to voicemail. You do have to maintain some sort of contact with that person. But, you know, like you were saying, Jacqueline, at some point you do have to cut it off too. And mm-hmm. to me, I think this movie also makes us think about the whole issue of how do we deal with people who believe the things that Peter believed, people who clearly are disturbed, people who clearly have issues. It makes us think about the danger of becoming as intimately involved with them as Agnes did in this film. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. she got so involved that I think she became infected. Something obviously infected him at some point mm-hmm. and put him on this path. And then he comes into contact with her and we see the end result. And so like there's you know, a bug, was, but it's just not a physical real. Right, life. right, right, <laughs> right. It's this whole notion of the danger of dealing with people who are mad, who have issues. I mean, you mm. there are times when you're going to have to engage with them and deal with them, but it becomes extremely more difficult when these are family members or if it's someone you're in a relationship with. Yeah. You know, if it's a child or whatever and you know, you see what that does to her in the film. And that's what it made me think about, you know, um, was once in a relationship with a woman who, and I think this is raised by the movie, maybe both of them are paranoid schizophrenics. Yeah. And, you know, one way of looking at the movie is that everything that we're seeing with the exception of people are delusions. Like, for example, we automatically, I think, view maybe Peter as being the mad one. How do we even know that he exists? You know, exactly. There's a theory that this film. it's all Agnes, right? Absolutely. So her friend RC, right? What does RC stand for? Possibly reality. Re- check. Reality check. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because if you look closely at the film, especially with regard to the introduction of Agnes and Peter, something really doesn't necessarily fit. And the way so he's maybe brought over and left there. Right. Very right. Odd. Right. Right. So, her you know, perhaps of all him. of this. Yeah. And so maybe the doctor's not Peter's doctor. Maybe it's actually her doctor and maybe and so the doctor's be- name is dr sweet right and what does right. jerry have jerry has a sweet tooth which we focus on for a moment there so mm-hmm. like is there any uh, correspondence between that i don't <clears throat> i don't i don't know it's a um, correlation it's interesting to think that maybe this is just something that she's made of she had a psychotic break because of the guilt of losing her child being a, an, a you know in an abusive relationship and then maybe maybe jerry is a real person and he's back and the, the the thought of him being back has just caused like the psychotic break in her. Where I don't well, know. I, I kind of want to. Yeah, I, I I I'm going along with this because the the microscope that they're using is like one of those little science kits kid. you get for for yeah. a little kid. kid That's, stuff. Yeah, I mean it's it's just like one of those little and then ones. Peter that you, could just be a manifestation of like her guilt towards her son, and now she has mm-hmm. a second chance to listen to a man, a, a person who's sort of like wow. a child in a sense. And take care right. of him. And, but then it feeds, and that would explain, it feeds her, her brain. And that would explain brain. the ending, because I guess the ending, right? You see toys you know, mm-hmm. and various things, you know, related to child. So you don't you see know, the aluminum one. foil and stuff like that. Right. right. Exactly. And like you said, exactly. maybe maybe the doctor's a real thing. Jerry might be a real thing. And they're coming to try and help her while she's locked in this place alone, having this psychotic break, possibly. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe Dave uh, Peter's not a real uh, person at all that that would explain one moment that puzzled me a little bit which is when dr sweet comes in. it's like he arrives with jerry mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. why would why would jerry be with dr sweet at all why would he even know him if he's peter's doctor um jerry doesn't give a shit about peter the only thing is because he's been going to the bar asking about 
supposedly. So maybe RC put Jerry in contact with Sweet. I don't know. Yeah, but it just seemed weird that they arrived yeah. at the same time together and that like Jerry they knew each other to get Dr. Sweet in. And like that, that just seemed an odd moment. Like, why would the I, two of kind of pairing up like that? But if he were actually and, acting as a doctor, that would make more sense. It makes more sense to me now because it's like, like Jerry did say, Hey, I'm going to go someplace. I got to do something and then I'll be back. I'm going to be back. And then, yeah. you know, maybe that was his intention all along. I mean, what I if mean, these are, 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 these are slices of Ashley Judd's character's personality, like a split, you know, like maybe Peter is a, is a form of some uh, a personality she's created, or I don't know, maybe even Jerry could be. And, and Dr. Sweet is like the doctor that takes care of her. It's odd. And maybe he played, but doctors aren't supposed to play along with your fantasies. They're not meant to, they're not supposed to indulge no. you in your fantasy. They're, well, they're supposed, supposed to, to come to a starch, like, like oh, you're wrong either. Cause that could cause confrontation. Well, I think they can say whatever they need to, to diffuse a situation if there's imminent. Yeah, possibly. But I know that it's not great practice to like indulge in a um, right. delusion either. Yeah. So it's interesting. And then, the fact that Michael, uh, not Michael, um, Peter kills him and and claims that he's a machine when he does so, uh, he like and he's high tech. He says, "But like, oh look at the voice, the voice modulator is like really good, and you're, you're the new model. I'll show you it's a machine." And then guts him. Um, I don't know. That's interesting. That's kind of speaks on that whole machine like issue that I mentioned earlier about like technology. There's there's a lot of threads actually. There's a lot of stuff you could pull from this film. So it, it is you definitely want to watch it several times. Well, now I gotta watch it again. <laughs> it's right it's not an easy watch either. I'll say that it's it's a little tough because we're in one single location. And we get to see these characters that, like, especially Judd's characters, like you're rooting for, her and then you see this decline quickly in her character, and you just sort of like, oh man, like this sucks to watch. I th- I think it's a tremendously sad movie, actually. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. It is. It's definitely one I would recommend watching earlier in the day in the afternoon so maybe after watching go out and do something and kind of lift your spirits back up you know it's um and it's tough if you like want to said, go down yeah, it's waiting. watch this and then go watch the barbie movie right yeah. <laughs> and then if you want to go down the 12 avenue, hours like, in one day yeah right <laughs> you go down avenues where some of these characters may not be real so it's like rc she supposedly went to the dermatologist with um what's her name agnes so it's like i don't know how much of that is real yeah i don't know i mean is rc so- yeah but like I we think, said, it could think, it could stand for reality check. I think you can question almost everything in this movie, which is mm. intriguing. But if you if you kind of go with it too long, I, I can see it driving you a little bit nuts. <laughs> and that's when Peter has like a big fit too when he's confronted by RC, the reality check. <laughs> so like when he's confronted, that's when all of a sudden he has like his spasm attack with the bugs and they're all over him. And that's where mm. that's where um, Ashley Judd's character turns on RC and slaps her. Mm-hmm. For no good reason, really. Um, and then says, you know, you're just trying to take that one thing from my life that I'm getting joy out of and blah, blah. Leave us alone. Get out of here. So that's kind of I guess maybe it could be the turning point for her where she just like rejects um, reality at that point and just well, she's her choice. Like she's made her yeah. choice as like what is important to her mm-hmm. right now, what she thinks she needs in her life. And she's willing to sacrifice yeah. her RC for the sake of this other human that she like if we're assuming that all these people are real, she's she's making a choice between RC, whom she's willing to sacrifice for the sake of her relationship with Peter, which is what she thinks she desperately needs at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get some yeah. sick, um, like Cronenberg-esque um, like body horror in this movie, too. It's like 
It's not mm-hmm. overly grotesque, but like the tooth pulling scene. Oh, no. fucking oh, a, yeah, man. that was. He pulls two of them, <laughs> and it's like excruciating to watch. Well, and actually, Judd, I think, is what really sells that mm-hmm. because he is absolutely horrified and just like completely breaking down and freaking out watching this happen. Because yeah, he would- looks under the <laughs> microscope at his tooth and he just recoils in horror. And then when she looks, she gives in and she's like, "Oh, there's millions of millions. them." Millions. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and watching the physical like spiral that they go through, it's like every time you see both characters, like every time there's like a scene change. And you mm-hmm. see, them again, they look worse and worse. It's kind of like the fly. I mean, you know, talking yeah. about yeah. Less so the ex- location, the location, the set dressing, yeah. like it's worse and worse too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's almost like that central location is like a cesspool. It's like their little petri dish, where you know, in both films, they're just kind of getting worse and worse. But they would course, both rather be unhealthy in this one room than go out and face like the reality of outside the room. Don't you? Don't you feel like you like watching this movie? Don't you wish you could just like open the door and breathe some fresh air? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. the, the sense of claustrophobia is incredibly, mm-hmm. incredibly strong. A question for you guys: um, How do we know that she actually had a child? You know, because I think we've. I think that's a real a thing. thing. I think she had a child. Wow. But maybe that's first question, but I also think well it seems like the main catalyst to her break. Like I know, but, but the story was a little made up focused on how she lost him. Well Jerry talks about it too. So if yeah, Jerry, Jerry does if Jerry's real, then he does confirm that. And he slaps her when she mentions it, Lloyd. Yeah. yeah. And see, and that that to me is the thing. It's like what do we what's our starting point for what's real in this? Because I think you can make a cogent, strong argument for so many things being fake and then taking the movie one way. Like, for example, you know, I've read some articles where someone said, you know, she was the child who maybe was abducted. And so as she's gone on, the trauma of having been abducted, it started to really affect her. And mm-hmm. she's created all of these different personalities. And yeah. so Peter's character is one personality and they're starting to merge towards the end. So, mm-hmm. you know, rather than this really being a relationship, what's happening is she's slowly starting to integrate all of these people in together. I've even if, heard like again, a rumor that like, what if Peter was her son? But he's not Michael Shannon's character is not young yeah. to portray that. Yeah. But um, right. there's a there was like a, people that were saying like, well, what if he was like a younger guy? Uh, but obviously mm-hmm. the actor that they chose was not. So and then there yeah. would be some, like ancestral sort of weird undertones there. Yeah. Well, so I don't know what that would imply, but well, so the son would have been 16, right? Yeah. At that point. Yeah. It was, yeah. He was six when he, and it was 10 years ago. I think yeah. she did lose her son. Uh, I think, and she lost him because her uh, sort of, I don't want to come down on her too hard, but sort of, of her own negligence, you know, like she just, as a parent, we, you know, you're going to fucking go grab something real quick. Your kid's right in the stroller and then boom, it happens in a split in a, you know, in the blink of an eye. So like, she's just considered herself guilty the entire time since then. Yeah. Like what, what could I have done to save my kid? I don't know because the fact that like she's in the supermarket and she has a moment there with the onions and the, and the small cart again, like, I don't know. I, I feel like as if that trauma is real, but who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Is it's this a movie about firm? We, oh. we can't sure. I, but I, I tend to agree with Hyderberg on this one. Um, I, I do think that that's kind of the central, like defining, moment of her life at this point um and i think a lot of what happens to her throughout this film is like a form of self-punishment mm-hmm. uh, for yeah. that she 
deserves for what happened. But this this whole storyline with the lost child was the most difficult part of this movie for me to to get through. And there's nothing shown, you know, you don't see a child getting taken away, but just you the, grief. the yeah, the idea of it and hearing her talk about it and just the thought of it, just the fact yeah. that this is something that, you know, supposedly happened to her character is unthinkable. And I, I also would hesitate to use the word negligence because honestly, I mean, you you can take two steps away from your child in, in a span of four seconds. And like every parent, every parent does that, you know, a hundred times in a week, you know, to, to do that. And like 999,999 times out of a million, like nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And most of us feel pretty safe doing that. Um, so I wouldn't even say negligence. Yeah, it happened on her watch. That's what I'm saying. I, I think she views herself as if it was negative, yeah. like her own yeah, view. I, agree. I definitely agree with that. I would not be one to yeah label that. I would not be one to condemn her for that because as parents, we all do it a hundred times a week. You know, I think it's the brilliance of this film that you can see it in so many ways. I mean, we've discussed what at least three or four theories, you know, thus far. Um, one interesting YouTube video I watched earlier said that this is a movie about two meth addicts and. <laughs> You know, if you look at, like, for example, Heidelberg, you talked about, you know, the, the odd scene with the gentleman smoking the crack pipe, you know, at some yeah. point, because it just seems sort of like, whoa, what's up? And so, you know, there's a lot of this that, you know, goes along with people who would be meth addicts, for example, the sores, the scratching, the mm-hmm. pulling out of the teeth. And so maybe, you know, you have two meth addicts who are sort of at the end. And, you know, we've all read about the stories of, you know, people burning themselves to death or, you know, some sort of explosion in a hotel room and that this could be sort of a drug fueled sort of last few days of paranoia of two addicts in a room, you know, losing their minds in a haze of hard drug use. I just, I just want, I wish we could see the in-between parts of like Michael Shannon's character going to like Home Depot to get a bunch of foil wrap and get like all these lanterns and like waiting on a line that like where there's like elevator music playing and he's sort of tweaking out and like, (laughs) He's all he's all covered in sores, but he's looking at everybody like, hey, how's it going? Good day. Yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah, buying man. like 40 fucking lanterns and a bunch of foil wrap. No big yeah. deal. Uh, and, all, and all these glue traps, which you never see any bugs ever. And I, Jacqueline, I can give you like, oh, you don't like bugs, but this is the most unbug bug movie that there is. Yes. I know, that's why I it's like filled it. with bugs that aren't fucking there. Even all the glue traps, not a single one has a bug in them. Nothing. We that's never see I will tell you, every time I watch the movie, I end up feeling itchy and scratching. Yeah, and really so it gives you that vibe film. based on the actors' portrayals and the, the sound effects. There's a lot of sound effects yes. that have little tiny bug uh, noises mixed in with mechanical things. And like and they do a really yes. good job of mixing it in. Yes. Like, did I just hear what I thought I heard? Just yeah, like when you're a kid crying a little bit at one point, you're just like, oh, they work when, when, Yeah, when they find that first bug, I thought that was the most beautifully acted scene right there because Michael Shannon's just like, look, 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 and you see nothing, you know, and he's convincing her. You see that? It's an aphid. Gotta give him credit. He's hopping around the whole room, the whole scene naked. He's perfectly cast for this movie. I I mean, could other people have played this role? Yes, but I don't think anyone could have played the role better than him. I think the way he unravels, I think, is perfect. And he does a really yes. good job of that. Um, well, he teeters from being polite to that. You know, he goes from right. one extreme to another. Yeah. So I agree with that 100%, James. I, I he's think never he, violent towards Agnes, right? Like, he's no. pretty. No, you know, but he wants he, her to believe. No, but he does get aggressive. Yeah, he is aggressive. Um, yes. And, and as I said before, I think there's an air of condescension 
when he goes on his little soapbox tangents that I find uncomfortable. But um, you guys were just talking about his his descent. And I think it's so interesting how, you know, we've talked about how he wants somebody to listen to him and how his theories and conspiracies really accelerate the downfall of Agnes and really cause a mental spiral in her because, you know, she's so like she's already so broken. She's like a perfect recipient of those things. But also I think it's so interesting how, you know, think about the contrast between what Peter's character is like at the beginning versus at the end. And it's almost as if his spreading this contagion to her accelerates his own downfall. It doesn't make him any, you know, it's like, it might feel like a relief to unload some of this stuff on another person, but you're not giving it away. When you do that, you're amplifying it in both. But the of moment you. that she agrees that she might see a bug legitimizes it all for him, and then like yeah. right. empowers like yeah. to like yeah. And then he goes full spiral. Exactly. Which is my part of the codependency of each yeah. other. But I mean, it's just like you I know, think it's an interesting under, one. Yeah, he, he he was under the care of a psychiatrist, and you know, keeping his visions like down. Yeah, but that dude, Doctor Sweet, who shows up. There's is that a real person? Is that even well? Uh, yeah, is that a again, real doctor? Like, what is that guy up to? Because like his you main- guys have all yeah, you guys have all brought up that point, and it, it's really interesting to me. And now I want to watch it again. And like, like, is that guy maybe he's a hallucination built on like maybe, there was a doctor that Peter did have, and he talked um, Ashley Judd's character into believing that he was a thing, and so all of a sudden he shows up, and then like I don't know. It's like he's the dealer. In the, yeah, in the, the dealer because the whole why is he time. smoking the crack pipe? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Peter's in the bathroom the whole time, right? Until he finally comes out to kill the guy. So it's like, I don't know. He's not mixing it up with the guy the whole time. And like you said, he's sitting down on a flammable objects to smoke a crack pipe. He doesn't even care. Is he doing that it was, just to win her over? I don't like it. doesn't yeah. seem very practical. That, that, that was a great scene, by the way. Like the way he stabbed him. <laughs> he was like, oh, the stabbing <laughs> is brutal as fuck. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I think it's also one of the most heartbreaking moments in the whole film because Agnes is absolutely devastated that mm-hmm. Peter killed Dr. Sweet because she believes that he's just destroyed her only chance of finding out where her son is. Yep. Yeah, exactly which is right. why would that doctor even say that to her if that was a real doctor? Just, I, that was, I just think to win her over? Highly unethical. If he were a real doctor, I think that'd be highly unethical. Yeah, it's so weird. And then her son, because that's her that's her main crutch, right? It's like her son. You just mentioned her son, you're gonna draw her in. Yep. The fact that you have some answers to that, like is to- that's her thing. That's her break is about her son. And it's all based around her guilt of losing her son, which I do think mm-hmm. means it's it was a real event in her life. I think I think there's a ch- there's a chance that Peter is a real person, and so is Agnes, and it's more about their dependency. Uh, towards each other and and motivating each other to spiral out of control um just like the way they they fuel the fire they fuel themselves and light themselves on fire in the very end it's like that's what they've well, been doing the whole time in a sense but it's also, a metaphor i think it's a it's a it's a vehicle for as a metaphor for all these other things right. uh, that we mentioned like politics and 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 technology and stuff like that so i, I don't know it's and, and heidelberg james before. brought it up uh, as being you know, drug dependent as well. You know, they they, yeah. they found each other. You know, they're the perfect couple, but you know, they spiraled. And well, that's the easiest dependency to work in, right? You work in drugs right. and guilt, mm-hmm. and you can easily mm-hmm. you can easily get two humans to spiral out of control based on that. You put them in a room, like a hotel room. A lot of movies have done that with drugs in, involved. But the thing is funny that like 
You don't see them using the drugs throughout the entire story. You know that you see her. You don't you know see that him. she uses, but you never see her as like a routinely thing to keep using. Right. There are moments where I think they've been using and not eating properly because they order that pizza and then dissect it and throw it away. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a weird scene. So that that's a scene that tweakers are going to be doing. They're going to hide in their hotel room with the blinds drawn and not want to answer the door for the pizza delivery guy and then look at the pizza as if like maybe it's poisoned. I don't know. Like I could see two tweakers being. Uh, it's it's I don't know. This movie does a good way of blending all these things and sort of making you like second guess as a viewer what what we're seeing. I was pretty upset about that pizza, though. What a waste of good pizza. Yeah, because that <laughs> oh, pizza looks pretty good. It looks like a little Pizza Hut type of pan pie. Oh, shit. Oh, you were even looking at it under the microscope. Like, what the yeah. fuck are you doing? Eat it. <laughs> that Fisher Price microscope couldn't see shit. <laughs> that's my point. I mean, it just it looked like. Well, that's. That's one of the what, that's one of the theories too is that like he pulls it out of the kid's stuff that like there's a theory that like well he is the kid come back and that's why yeah, he's pulling from his own different. toys and like or like he's the envision of her her older kid or whatever but he's oh, what would be the dated. what would be the purpose of that I wonder I don't know James you mentioned before that you felt disappointed by the ending could you talk more about that um you know I guess I will say that I was disappointed by the ending because. You know, you have this sort of mid-credits almost scene where you see some of the toys, right? Remember correctly, you see the doctors, buddy, and then it just ends. And I think for an issue like this where perhaps you are exploring and talking about mental health or maybe paranoia, um, maybe it's not so much that it's a bad ending. Maybe I have to, you know, stop doing what I do sometime, which is hope that people make a movie that I think they should have made as opposed to just enjoying the movie that was made but i think if it's going to be a film that deals with mental illness maybe at the ending it would have been good for us to step back into the real world and maybe mm. to be introduced to some characters or something to ground us and so like give, show like jerry like walk through the door and right, like, right 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 reality Right. And sort of to make the point that when you're dealing with these issues of mental illness, paranoid schizophrenia, that perhaps those of us who aren't suffering from this, we need to show some compassion to the people who are going through this because mm -hmm. this world is so vivid for them. Mm -hmm. We need to be a little bit more understanding and careful about the things that we talk to them about, the discussions we engage in with them and recognize how certain situations can be triggers. So I was hoping perhaps for that. I mean, I still I could, like the film. I still I, so think I could see that taking away good. from the ambiguity, though, of the ending uh, that we're sort of guessing on. Sure. Also, 2006, like, although mental health was a thing, it wasn't a focal mm -hmm. point like we have now in 2023. Right. The last, like, 10 years, we've, we've focused a decent amount on, like, mental health and breaking it down on, like, you know, like... We used to label people like, oh, you're just schizophrenic, but that's not a thing. Like there's so many other mm -hmm. variations of mental illness, things that are curable or like things you can work with and way right. to diagnose things. And we've come a long way. I think this film is yeah. a little dated in that theory. So mm -hmm. absolutely. Didn't, absolutely. We yeah, that's didn't we review some movie on this show from the 80s or thereabouts where someone was just upset and another character was like, well, obviously he's a schizophrenic. Or am I misremembering that? I don't know. Is that New Year's Evil? That sounds like something from the movie. I can't place it right now. But um, that was a lot of the eighties, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So so I think, Jackie, that's that's maybe the disappointment for me is that clearly mental health is a part of this film. I mean, it's something that 
I think the filmmaker wanted us to think about something he wanted us to grapple with. Mm-hmm. And I just would have hoped that maybe towards the end of the film, there should have been some way to let people know, okay, you can see now this is what these people are dealing with. They're mentally ill and let's ground us back in reality. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe those of us who've had to deal with it, it's like I said, you know, I was in a relationship with someone, her mother was a paranoid schizophrenic and for 95% of the day, she would be okay. But just let her see one thing on TV. And interestingly enough, bugs. Bugs would be the thing that would set her off. Mosquitoes and so forth. And I remember her one time telling me this theory that China had been injecting mosquitoes with certain bio weapons and they were going to kill us all. And it was really just sad and depressing to see how she was dealing with But there's a conspiracy theory out right now about Bill Gates and the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's like, it's still ongoing. I mean, it's rampant. True or not, there's still conspiracy theories to all this stuff. I would say that I would say that the rate of conspiracy theories has actually exploded in recent years. We have a lot of misinformation nowadays with social media. Absolutely. And so I think that's one of the scary things about it. Um, When I saw this movie for the first time, what fifteen years ago or so, um, I I think I read it on a very surface level. Which even on a surface level, I think this movie is really effective. Um, yeah. But it yes. it was disturbing to me simply in its portrayal of uh, mental illness and somebody who's on a downward spiral because it was so shocking and so upsetting um, to see both of them. But I in in my mind, particularly Michael Shannon, really go like lose lose their mind, um, and that was very disturbing to me. And I think what that that's that's something that's always been disturbing to me. Like if somebody says, what's your greatest fear? Um, one of my answers has always been like losing my mind or like losing my grasp. On that's really frightening to me. But as we've seen, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but as we've seen in the political climate lately, there has been an explosion in conspiracy theories embraced by a certain segment of the population. And what is alarming to me when I consider the well-being of our society is the fact that we are no longer able to collectively agree on the same reality. And so like, what is that but insanity on somebody's part? Like, I don't mean literally, but I mean, that's, that's disturbing to me in the same way, like losing your mind or losing your grip on reality. Like the fact that we as a society cannot agree on basic facts. And that, I mean, how do you, how do you come together? How do you agree on anything when you are not dealing, when two people, two individuals or two groups of people or whatever are not dealing in the same planes of reality? There's people that believe in a flat earth still. So it's like, it's tough to even reason with those kind of people. And so it's like that, that makes it impossible to bridge gaps, I think, or yeah. nearly. Impossible. So There's... it's, that's a, and so that's why that makes it a sickness. Um, it's, it's a sickness in our society. I'm not going to call you know, I, I don't want to like condemn people or accuse people of mental illness who believe in certain con- conspiracy theories. But I will say it's a sickness in society when large portions of the population can't agree on realities. Yeah, like the spread of misinformation. Um, that's sure. like a sickness. it's like an infection, the way it can in- infect you. You can believe something that's not realistic as much as you can believe something that is. You know what I mean? As well, sure. if it's packaged properly and it's it's it, and you're in the right state of mind when you see it. You're going to believe it's true. Uh, like Peter comes out of the bathroom believing Dr. Sweet, uh, Sweet to be a machine, right? He's an android. Mm-hmm. He stabs him. There's right. a great bit of dialogue when he gives that when he says that he thinks he's fake and he's going to show it to um, what's her name? Um, Agnes. Agnes. 
And then mm-hmm. I I was wondering also, like, is the machine doctor a metaphor for like the machine that is the healthcare industry? Like the way he says, like, he's a machine, yeah. he's a doctor, he's yeah. a machine. And I'm just thinking like, well, what if like the, the healthcare itself is like a machine that you need to uh, battle against, like to try and get involved in, in healthcare when you have a dispute or something, you have to, an operation you need. It's like, you're getting involved with this machine basically that's, you know, against you. That's, I think that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's what I think that's part of what makes Peter so like such a disturbing character is that there are several moments when he's able to make his delusions sound reasonable. When hey, he presents him, Timothy Mouvet and uh, Ted Kaczynski, there are times when he's calm and he does like and Jim Jones is a uh, cult. Yeah, like, that was like he's, there oh, yeah. are moments when. The, he finds ways to make what he's saying sound logical. Now, of course, there are moments where it, it doesn't sound logical at all. But there are moments where he does make things sound logical. And that's dangerous. And that's like, a, a you know, that's tempting to somebody like Agnes, especially in that sort of culminating scene between the two of them, when he takes like, every aspect of their of both of their lives and he like prompts her to make connections between them and it's like it's so attractive to have a single theory that like explains every part of your broken fucked up life mm-hmm. uh, you can to somebody like her um <clears throat> but that's what makes him so dangerous because he's able to make it like he finds a way to make to like force all those pieces to fit together and come up with a story that makes sense to her. Right. And, and I'm going to go back on the the drug addiction type thing cuz I I've got a family member that was heavy into crystal meth. Um this individual developed a mental health issues like a paranoid mm-hmm. schizophrenic because of the drugs. And it was just like like that being brought up, you know, it hit home. It didn't make me emotional, but it's just like it makes sense because this person would listen to the radio and think that whoever the DJ was, whether it was Howard Stern or whoever it was, was talking to them. Oh, they're talking to me. They they want me to come there now. And it's just like, like their reality is so separated from what our reality is. It's just like, like, oh man, I, it just brings up so many so many points of of how you could look at this that that it could be this it could be that you know which makes me appreciate this movie a lot more because it's you know without having the time or maybe the cuts that that freaking had to make that that maybe he was trying to say this or it, he was saying that you know this is you know a mentally ill person trying to bring in a, another mentally ill person and they see the same thing you know I, or maybe it's drug addiction i don't know I don't, I yeah. don't. Yeah. You know, Jackie, I wanted to build on a point that you made just a few minutes ago, John, as well about pain, you know, and how, you know, often we may look at it like I do from a political lens, but maybe it's not necessarily a political lens, but just as you said, people are looking for a comfortable organizing principle to deal with some personal tragedies. Like for example, we all know that um, sexual exploitation of children is a global problem. It's a significant problem in the United States. Hence the attraction that people have to QAnon. Yeah. People who may not necessarily call themselves political conservatives, but the idea of, okay, now I see why this happened. It's because there's an organized conspiracy of elite people who traffic in children. Well, that's going to help me deal with the pain. You yeah. know, they, they need something to deal with that issue. You know, in, in this movie, you know, at one point, Aggie 
um, starts to think, well, you know what? It was my husband who actually took him and the government paid him to do it. You know, and yeah. I think it is, you know, an important insight for us that oftentimes some of the most dangerous leaders, even if they're not political leaders, they could be entertainment leaders or cult leaders like David Koresh and others. They know how to take advantage of that pain. Yes. The branch Davidians, there's a lot of research, you know, that tells us the followers were people who were addicts, victims of domestic violence, of sexual abuse. Jim Jones' cult consisted of a lot of people of color, a lot of African-Americans who were willing to listen to someone who said, hey, I believe in you. I know how you've been marginalized. Let's go to you know, this other country and create this model society. And the same way that those cult leaders took advantage of those people in real life, I, I really feel like if you view the movie one way, that's the way that Peter, be he real or not, is taking advantage of Agnes's character, you know, saying, hey, listen, you have all of these questions. I can provide you with the answers. You know, yeah. you don't have to deal with this pain anymore because I can tell you who's responsible for the loss of your child. You know, I can tell you who's making these mysterious phone calls. You know, I can tell you why the bugs are here. And that's very attractive when you've dealt with pain, when you've dealt with loneliness, when you've dealt with frustration, you know, economic instability. Someone who comes along and offers answers and companionship and their physical intimacy. You know, it sounds a Look lot at how like Hitler a cult. took over. Yeah, sounds a lot like a cult, you know, yeah. and really that's what, you know, Hitler was. He was a large scale cult yeah. leader, you know, who incorporated mm -hmm. very effective yeah, the people that they, know, need, they need something new, their bring them something new, right? Engage right. them, right? And then yeah. you have Here's them as a follower, and then you can you can steer them towards your own beliefs, whether they believe it mm -hmm. or not. They're, they're engaged already. Yeah. And, and there are more people, if you guys don't mind, just quickly, I'll share just a very quick story about people who you think are okay. And again, you know, it's not that I'm saying that people have mental illnesses or immoral or wrong or not okay, but we know they're clearly struggling with something. I mean, I hope that we move at some point to society where we view people who are dealing with mental illness the same way we would view people who have issues with their heart or their lungs. It's, you know, it's, it's an issue that deserves treatment as opposed to being stigmatized. And there's variations of it as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. People dealing with large scale mental illness and mm -hmm. smaller scale stuff that they, they're not aware of. Absolutely. I remember being in law school and um, on campus, it was a university barbershop. And there was a gentleman and you know, I started going there to get my hair cut. We'd have pleasant conversations. It seemed like a very nice, well-adjusted guy. One day I go to get my hair cut there and he says to me, you know, um, I really want you to be careful. I said, well, I'm careful of what? He goes, well, you know what they do here at this university? Um, they get black men sometime at night and they take them off to a room. And then they will make a mold of your penis and then sell it. And at first I thought he was joking. And I, I mean, there is a market for that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I said to him, are you joking? He goes, no, that happens all the time. He's like, this for thousands of years to us. They do it here at this university. He goes, you know, I've seen you walking around sometime by yourself. Don't do it. And he goes, what they'll do is they'll invite you to a room. They'll put some chloroform in a cloth. You'll pass out and then you'll wake up someplace. And before you know it, you know, your penis is all around and, you know, some woman may claim you sexually assaulted her. And I thought, oh, my God, this guy has a razor, you know, right near my neck. Yeah. And so, you know, I let him finish, but it made me realize that more people out there than we realize who are functioning day to day, who appear yeah. to be OK, but you catch them on the wrong Thursday or Friday and you get a chance to see some of the things that they're thinking now. And those conspiracies don't see color necessarily. So they don't, they don't, they don't. And now what he was saying 
was grounded in some truth. There is a history of abduction of African-American males and medical experimentation and things of that nature. But clearly there was something going on that had taken it to the next level yeah. for him. Do we have examples of medical experimentation in the United States? Of course. Yes. I personally don't think that bugs are being put in people to track and follow them. But I can tell you I've had conversations with at least 10 or 15 people, smart, well-adjusted people who otherwise are okay in life, who 100% believe that that's At the moment right now, they don't need to do that because you have a cell phone in your hand. And that does all the... Right. And I always try to make people understand. They don't need to implant them. They don't need to track you because you track yourself. Because everybody's getting a phone. We're already doing it. Right. Right. So that's... I do think there is a... There is a close future where we could be implanting. We're already genetically altering babies. We can do that. You can you can pick eye color and stuff like that. Like those are things that you can. Oh, absolutely. Those are those are futures that we could have. So and putting an implant in some in a human being is not far off if not already yeah. have. Yeah, and I guess just to close out, I was going to say that's why I think this movie maybe could have a resurgence now. It could be popular again because you know I think if you didn't tell people, hey, this movie was made back in two thousand six. And just said, "Hey, there's a new film. I think it would be timely now. I think it would still. I think it. I think you're resonates. right. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't see. It wouldn't seem to be a very dated film. Other and than like maybe that back and forth, the back and forth rant between Judd and Shannon is like pretty impressive to me. It's just like straight mm-hmm. lunacy when they lose mm-hmm. it. And like you said, mm-hmm. Michael Shannon's just connecting all these dots that she's just going along with because she needed that in her right. life. Uh, she just needed to." it's not my fault anymore. It's somebody else's right. fault. And, um, you know, it wasn't me. I was just targeted. I'm a victim. And uh, this is her way of never really dealing with the guilt of the fact that she lost her child, you know, that she, she turned away from it and her child was gone. And she's always been dealing with that. And mm-hmm. this brought her like even further past the substance abuse and stuff like that. And, and everybody's made such great points about this movie, but James, I'm going to go some. Uh, go back on something you said you know i i think if this movie did come out in early 2021 you know this would have hit completely different you know yeah. i mean you can we can look at all of these things you know and especially us being more aware of mental health and everything that's going on and and all this political bullshit that that you know it, you know it's got to be one side or the other you know it's it's like this movie just really it's poignant it, it is. It really is. I mean, and this discussion just really kind of pulled me in that direction of like, wait, there's more to this movie than what I thought. Because what I said at the beginning, you know, it was like codependency. And yeah, it has that. Yep. But there's sure. more to it. You know, you oh, brought up the pain. Like Jacqueline said, you can watch it on the surface level and still enjoy it and enjoy sure. the codependency, it, alcoholism, like druggy sort of feud uh, fuse that they have. But there is right. a lot more to it. And James well, so- said something about the pandemic, and it's just like, you know what? That makes sense, too. And right, everything right. you just brought up after that, I was just like, oh, my Dude, God. if this movie dropped in 2020, 2020 or 2021, mid-pandemic, it's dealing with, uh, you know, it's dealing with all types of issues of just mental illness, um, infection, quarantining, in a sense, like in one place, we're dealing with um, issues of, you know, government conspiracies there's so much that this film could have hit on if it had dropped i it might have scared the shit out of people if it had dropped well, in that you watched it during that time period like yeah. that must have been bleak oh yeah oh absolutely yeah. absolutely and also too you know i think loneliness i saw something the other day that great upsurge in the number of people now who live alone 
that it's the fastest growing demographic category in the United States. And that doesn't necessarily mean that people are lonely because I mean, there are a lot of people who I think they don't want to interact with people at this moment. Right. Right. And I think that um, there is a significant group though in the States that's incredibly socially isolated and that's vulnerable to, I won't say his name, but you know, someone running for the presidency right now who said that chemicals are being put in the water that turn frogs gay and may make people gay, you know, things like that. And, and, you know, when you hear that at first, you think, okay, that's crazy. No one's going to believe it. But everybody knows it's Bud Light be- that turns everybody gay. Right. So, so I guess maybe you guys might have posed this question to you. What is the bug? Is the bug, we know it's not an insect. Is the bug toxic love, domestic violence? I think it's hope. Paranoia? I think it's false hope. It's like a sense of hope for either of these people. Um, it's like a, yeah. a glimmer of hope that they found someone that understands them, uh, a need to connect maybe. Yeah. Mm, I might say desperation. Yeah. I agree with that. Desperation. What do you to think? The bug is misinformation. Mm-hmm. misinformation and loneliness you know, too. Cause loneliness, loneliness is the common thread between all mm-hmm. the characters, even, mm-hmm. even the outside characters, Jerry, Jerry. he's been in jail. He's been in prison for two years. He's lonely. Thank you. Uh, he's a dickhead. RC, she seems lonely. Uh, yeah. Peter, so like... If they would have put the phrase witch hunt in this movie, that would have just like put the uh, the cherry on top, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> what you said? <laughs> if they put the phrase witch hunt in this movie, it would have been like... Oh, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, James, absolutely. you... You talked about what you had been hoping to see in the ending and why you felt mm-hmm. that way, um, which I, I absolutely can see that. Um, and I think that's a valid uh, point of view. However, I would also argue that the discussion that we've had here today is proof that um, the the ambiguity of the movie and the not knowing for sure can be a really fruitful, can, can be really fruitful for the consideration of many possibilities mm-hmm. and i i would dare to guess that tracy letts and or william friedkin might be pleased to hear people discussing all these different readings of the film and discussing different possibilities in an intelligent way not just like throwing random shit around to see if it'll oh, stick on the wall but i think that we have explored and considered you know logically several different readings of this movie and several different um, lenses through which it could be viewed, and if that's true, um, then maybe it's maybe it's a good thing that we were not taken, you know, back a step to see a, a bit of reality at the end of the movie. Maybe that was intentional um, by the writer and the director to allow us to consider these things more fully. Um, I think if we had if we'd had a little more finality or a little bit more. Um, like showing of, of reality that might have closed off some of these possibilities. So we, at the very end, very well said, very well said. I think you're right. At the very end, we get them, they, they give in, they douse themselves in this oil gasoline mixture or whatever it is. And they light themselves on fire, um, like hugging each other. Mm -hmm. And there's a moment where like the, the whole building goes on fire, but you don't, you never hear like the pains or the cries of the victims that are burning to death, right? It's more about the room transforming and a transcendence of like, from where their perspective should be, we see the roof and then like we hear again, the helicopter and the cicada like noise. And that's when the film kind of ends on that noise. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think it's like sort of powerful of like, like you said, there's no real closure, which I think I, I, I do think if we if we had any closure at all, it would it would lead everybody towards one conclusion. And I think the, the most powerful thing that this movie does do is sort of leave it open to interpretation, which has uh, made a great conversation tonight. Yeah. Well, okay. I think a good note to end on, um, if you gentlemen don't mind, I think maybe we can move into our individual ratings. I have a small side tangent. Sure. The call out, just real quick. Tangent. Is it about the construction of the building? It's about Pluto, where I stream this movie from. Their ad placement is fucking, and the frequency is terrible. <laughs> they make you rewatch ads, even if you rewind just a little bit. Like it's infuriating. Uh, Moments I- where I pause the movie to go do something and come back, and then I had to rewatch the same fucking like ten minutes of ads. It was just it's horrible. Really? But Tubi oh. doesn't do that. It was it, yeah. <laughs> My Pluto experience was very different. I you had might like, have watched it in a fuller sitting than me. I might have paused it more. Uh, yeah, I did watch it in one sitting, but I only had like 15 second ads maybe four or five times during the whole movie. 15 it- seconds? Mine yeah. were three minute long. No, yeah, my, Pluto? mine were like every time they would go to an ad break, I got six ads. You know how many times so- I saw what? Dawn Soap clean off a fucking duck that was covered in really? oil? Wow. It made me sad. It Dude. was like an oil spill. Exxon Valdez. I'm starting to think that Michael dog. Shannon's character was like reaching out to me. He was trying to infect me with some kind of <laughs> weird. At Pluto. Was yeah. Where you yeah, it was the out. iris. The iris. Was I had to go animated. take a bath in Dove because I felt so <laughs> Yeah, dirty. I did. I took a Dove bath also. Or Dawn. Dawn. I dipped my balls dove. in it. <laughs> you teabagged your bath. <laughs> yeah. I did it in the kitchen sink. Oh God! Anyway, <laughs> anyway, sorry to derail our serious conversation here. Dang, I'm, I'm sorry that you had uh, a bad experience with Pluto. I was su- pleasantly surprised at Fuck my Pluto. I'm a Tubi guy. I mean, I do. Love Pluto. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm yeah. loyal. Anyway, um, shall we go ahead and rate this thing, fellas? Yeah, Jacqueline, why don't you kick us off? Okay. From 2007's Bug. How are you going to rate this bad boy? Um, I mean, I. As as was expected, knowing that J- that James was going to be a guest on our show, I feel like we've had such an interesting and productive conversation. James, do you just want to join the show? Because I feel like you make us all smarter. <laughs> James, I'm leaving. <laughs> You're taking over my spot. No, no, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> you too. I think we just need to make it. So, um, like this, this this conversation went um, in some directions that i had expected but also some directions that i hadn't expected and that was a joy mm-hmm. um, and i was already planning to rate this movie very highly but i would say that during the course of this conversation my rating has increased um i i just think i i have become more and more convinced that this movie is just absolutely brilliant with so many layers underneath it and so many things to explore I every single time I watch I've seen this movie I think four times now and every single time I'm absolutely blown away at the power of Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon's performances and the absolute commitment to this very strange and not very like uplifting story um I think these were risky parts um for them to take on as actors and I I think that they performed these roles extremely courageously i feel like there was no holding back from either actor and i i think that between the script you know the the writing of the movie and those two powerhouse performances i think they have just created a gem of a movie and i i feel like this is not a super widely discussed movie i feel like not 
everybody you know that i that i think should see this movie has seen it it's not um, an easy watch it's not no it, it's not mm. but but you know it's it's not necessarily accessible for everybody like there yeah. are a lot of people who just be like that's just too damn unpleasant i just don't really want to experience that which i understand you know it's, I, I think it's not for everybody it's not a it's not a crowd please that's for sure um but just on the basis of everything we've talked about here today i i, I don't even want to really get into any like nitpicky stuff or um i feel like i've said everything that that i that i wanted to say but more importantly i've heard so many interesting things from all three of you um i'm gonna give bug from 2007 9.5 out of 10 super mother bugs whoa yeah super mother bugs she's like i am the super mother bug it does she says that in the most cracked out sort of way yeah, so that's mm-hmm. why that's my unit of measurement. <laughs> I love that. That um, speaks volumes, though. Super mother bug. Yeah, so uh, that's that's my rating. Uh, I just wanted to keep it short and sweet for now. James, what do you think? You know, around the time this movie came out, I think most people knew Ashley Judd, just like you said, as either you know the star of rom coms or um, playing opposite Morgan Freeman in thrillers. Mm-hmm. And I think this was such divergence from that and such a good job i mean her acting performance in this is first rate and, and i will tell you um every performance is incredible we'll say even harry connick jr i'll be honest yes. with you. when i first saw that he was in the movie i was like oh my god but he yeah, we did, did a good. great job yeah he, he really did a good job of course like i said i think michael shannon was meant to play this role so just like you jackie because of the acting and i think to have a film take place in such limited tight quarters but still to be captivating and entertaining and to hit on so many things and we've all said for it to be viewed so many different ways i'm going to give it a 9.5 to and the reason i will say so high is because it's a movie that's a rewatchable Mm -hmm. you know to me the hallmark of a classic film is that you can say you know what i've got something to watch this again it's the type of movie that each time i've watched it i find myself putting my phone aside and not paying attention notification. I think it's a, a great movie because whatever you bring to it, you'll see that, but I think you'll also get some. So um, I was surprised to see the ratings I mean, looking back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that IMDb had it as like, what, a second one, yep. you know, which I thought was relatively low. I yep. do agree with you, Hyderberg, John, it is a tough watch, but um, yeah, 9.5. I think it is an amazing film, and I hope that it catches an audience. All right, 9.5 from James as well. All right. Um, just a quick note on that. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score is absolutely shocking to me. 61% mm-hmm. from critics, 34% from audience. So just Whoa! Wanted- <laughs> I get it. It's pretty low. The, the, pretty critics, low the critics get it a, a good bit, and the audience doesn't. We've already established that this is a film that is worth rewatching, but and it's one of my critiques is it's not an easy rewatch. Right. You don't watch this the first time and instantly want to go right back to it. Right, right. Uh, just thought I'd mention that, John. Yo, you're up. Uh, I said from the beginning that I loved all the acting in this movie. Um, I'll, I'll I'll say straight up, I was ready to give this a five point five out of ten. However. This discussion opened my eyes, just like as we came into the new millennia, the new the new decade, it really resonates more. I, I love the point that James made as far as I watched this movie during the pandemic, and it just 
it like hurt my soul. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's what it was like. That's exactly what it was like. And it's it's almost like William Freaking had this kind of sixth sense of, mm. well, this is what's going to happen in the future. Um, bringing up the political stuff, you know, I didn't see that on my initial watch or even like on, on this watch getting ready for the show is, but it's so true. It's like, like it spoke on so many things. Um, my ding for this movie is we had an hour and, you know, 15, 20 minutes of just kind of building characters. And it just, it, it, it just seems so choppy. And then all of a sudden we got the last 20 minutes of the movie and it was like, this is fantastic. This is a horror movie. It didn't feel like that before. And then, I don't know, our, our discussion just really, really brought this movie up for me. So I'm going <laughs> to, so I said 5.5. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 um, Mother Bugs. What'd you call it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a I'm gonna give it a seven. I, 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 this really, the discussion really just kind of brought me up. And again, like you, uh, both you guys, I, I will rewatch this movie, not easily, but I will rewatch this movie and look for those clues. Yeah, cool. All right, I respect that. Seven's, seven's reasonable, I think. Hydraberg, what do you think? Uh, what do I think? I don't know. Do you think? What do I think? Uh, real quick. Yes, uh, pros. The acting in this film, really well done, especially Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon. I think they kill it. They just kill it. Michael Shannon is like an unknown at this point. Like this is before I saw him on um, Empire Boardwalk or whatever it was, a uh, Boardwalk Empire. That's where I got my true taste of like Michael Shannon. Uh, this might have been after that. I don't remember. No, I think it was before that. Yeah. Um, I he was kind of an unknown to me at this point, but he kills it. Um, and I think him being an unknown to me when I first saw this film adds to the the level of like, who is this guy? Like he's so zany. His acting's so. Um, intense and there's like this intensity to him but also this awkwardness and this shyness and this like this um i don't know it's, it's like he's vulnerable in this movie innocence yeah mm-hmm. there's an innocence to him it, he's vulnerable yeah he's he's seen some things but at the same time it's like it was forced on him and like he's just had to kind of deal with it and i just i'm i'm actually judd i think it's amazes me that she she had to be was she not offered any type of award for this movie i know this movie probably just flew right onto the radar when it released that's, that's the other thing that surprised me too i think it was one of her the acting is so good in this movie yeah and it's so off script of what she was doing at the time you're right um i, I think, think, think it's like, like this is a risk yeah i'm sorry i just want to break in for a second i i would say that this performance of hers would even be comparable with Charlize theron in monster, monster she, yeah yes. Mm-hmm. yes that's but, a good that's a good comparison actually but Charlize, uh, I think, won the Oscar for that, or at least was nominated. She did like a huge transformation, I guess. Yeah. Maybe that's part of what added to it. I don't know. I don't know. I think Ashley Judd still did a transformation. I think so, too. Um, I, I, think, I just believe her character in this world, like in this, you know, the environment that she's in. Yeah. And I believe her, like, you know, her turn over time to like believing this like crazy scenario that's going on around her because she's vulnerable to it. And at the same time, Maybe some of it's real. Maybe we don't know. We don't know what's real, what's not really uh, at the end of the day. And I do respect that, uh, that the film leaves that uh, ambiguity. I think that works perfectly. I think we wouldn't have a conversation like we had tonight without that. Um, mm-hmm. So I dig that. The body horror, I think, and the small bit of gore, I think, is really well achieved. Um, the sense of paranoia as well is really well achieved. Um, the claustrophobia of the room, uh, really good. It, it's the paranoia of everything. Um it's just like an interesting trip into madness 
And I think the film warrants repeat viewings, even though, like I said, they may be hard to do, uh, but there are layers there to peel back as far as the film's subtext. Um, we touched on several things today. None of those things are verified. We don't know that those are actual things that are happening in this film, but they were, th- mm-hmm. they were things that this film was, a, they were threads that we were able to pull on, you know, as cr- critiquing this film. And that makes it interesting um, whether those things are true or not. Uh, they were true enough for each of us to believe in as we reviewed it, right? To think that like, mm-hmm. oh, it's going this way. It's speaking on this. I think it's interesting that there's so much there. And th- th- this film came out in 2006. It's kind of ahead of its time as mm-hmm. far as uh, predicting the future and how people could feel in a, in a, you know, in a quarantine state dealing with mental illness too. Imagine all the people that had to deal with the quarantine as far as, and also their mental illness. They couldn't see their doctors as frequently. And if they did, they saw it over Zoom. It was a, it was mm-hmm. a, a, a you know, people that were just kind of straddling that that line of like staying uh, lucid and dealing with their life and controlling their mental illness to a state and then being thrown into the pandemic. I could see that like throwing some people off too into Absolutely. a state. Yeah. And that could be scary. I don't deal with that, but man, I do. I, my heart goes out to people that have. And I, I, if anybody has, please write in and let us know what you thought of that, of this movie. Have you ever seen it? Does it reflect on those experiences? I do think that uh, some of the cons, I do think some of the cinematography is odd and some of it takes me out of the scenes. I know, like John, we mentioned some of that editing. There's some mm-hmm. weird editing. I, maybe it was Tubi. Maybe it was I, think, I definitely think it was Pluto because I've never. Right. Um, yeah, weird. Pluto. I know it's meant to keep you off kilter, but there are moments that sort of like took like, I don't know, that felt off for me. Um, but it's it's hard to judge because it like it's sort of meant to throw you in the state where you believe the mental state of the characters you're watching you're in their shoes. So I get that um, there. It's a single location film, which I usually like. I do think that the location got a little boring for a little bit of it to me. Like I do wish there were moments of outside. I show me Michael Shannon getting supplies and like an awkward state of like paranoia while he's outside in the real world. And then maybe cut back to what's her name um, in the room without him and her dependency of like, oh, he's gone. Is he coming back? I don't know. There are certain things that you could have built on there. I thought would have been interesting. Um, and I do love a single location. I do think it adds to the paranoia of everything. But I do think there are moments where it felt a little stale to me. Um, that's just me, though. The characters, I do wish that they spent a little bit more time together to really believe their shared hysteria. Because they're just, I don't know. But looking back now, it seems like we could pick apart, like, all right, so like Peter shows up out of the blue. So maybe that adds to you know, our main uh, protagonist's paranoia or her, her, um, you know, her psyche breaking and him becoming maybe a character in her psyche and not a real thing. Like, but the fact that he just shows up there, RC drops him off and then like they interconnect, like it felt a little off to me as far as like, like it just didn't seem believable that you would, you would just drop this guy off at your friend's house that you just met and, and leave you know, mm-hmm. randomly. So it's like, I don't know. It all felt kind of forced a little bit, but I think that's part of the plot also. Like, it's meant to feel that way and force us as an audience into the situation. So, like, I don't want to think it too bad, but I do think it's something that stood out to me. Um, and I just kind of wish the characters had a little bit more of a bonding experience. We get that outside experience on the swing, and I think that's kind of fills that gap, but mm-hmm. it's small. Um it's also it's just not that enjoyable of a of a watch of a film. Like it's just we're watching two people go insane, and it's interesting. But man, it's not as entertaining as you want another film like a film to be. It's it's rough to watch because 
we're dealing with people with tremendous loss and paranoia and people that seem like they might be good. And then like, she just like the fucking movie <laughs> martyrs. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, you're right. I mean, like there's a moment of martyrs where we get like, Oh man, it fucking really, but I don't want to ding it too much on that, but it's definitely something as me as a viewer, like I'm not compelled to want to go back and rewatch this film, but I'm glad I did for this podcast because I realized that, that there is more rewatchability to this film. Mm-hmm. There are so many different avenues to go on where we could say, hey, let me watch it with this lens in mind now. And I'm just going to watch it with this lens. And then you can see those things the next viewing. And that would be an interesting way to kind of tackle it. Um, but there's a lot to talk about. I dig it. I think the conversation was great. I don't want the conver- just because the conversation was so good. I don't think that necessarily bumps up my idea of what the film meant to me, though, because the film is rated on its own. I think the pacing in the film is a little slow and it loses me towards the end. Um, there's zaniness that kicks in and there's just moments that like they're cool and they're 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 impactful. But I think they could have been like framed a little bit better um, in the film and like the cohesion of the story. But again, it's 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 tricky because you don't want a cohesive narrative because we're about it's about two crazy people going more crazy. So I don't know. It's tough. That's just my initial viewing. So with that said, I'm giving Bug. Um, I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10 super mother bugs. All right. Hydroberg, just to clarify, was this your first time watching it? It's my second time. Okay. And I'll be honest. The first time I watched it, I was not, I was not pleased with this. It, mm. it didn't leave me with a pleasing feeling. Mm. It felt, I just didn't like it. Um, I thought the portrayals of everybody was good, but I thought overall the feeling I got from the film, because I didn't, I didn't give it a moment to like really digest like that. I just took it as on surface value the first time where it was like it was two crazy drugged out people and engaging each other in more craziness, which is fine. That's what the film's about. But I do think there's a lot more subtext there. And uh, this this evening's conversation has brought a lot of that to light. So uh, but I still think as a viewer, I think it's a seven point five, in my opinion. All right. Cool. Wow. You know, what's interesting to me real quick I, before you go, Jacqueline, it's. We didn't know Michael Shannon back then, but we no. know him now, and we appreciate him more now. Yeah, that you know all all the stuff that he's done. So go ahead, uh, you, you got trivia on this bad boy. Well, I think this movie is a testament to like his acting prowess and like what he's 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 capable of taking like risks. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's moments in this movie where he's totally nude. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's a single location film. It's just him and Ashley Judd acting off of one another, and there's it's really good. I gotta yeah. say, his weenie wafted in the wind. There wow, that's <laughs> inspiration there, John. I think that's Our- yeah. That's a that's a is that a Pink Floyd song? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Oh no, that's a off the wall scene. Oh, that's Kansas, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys want to hear a few factoids about this? Certainly, lay it on us. In I'll, fact, I'll, with the, your I'll, trivia. I'll, I'll try not to spread uh-huh. misinformation. I will try to. <laughs> Um, and, and I'll try to keep it brief because we're running long. Um, I'll just yeah. try to get the most interesting ones. So during the shoot, many of the crew members got rashes from bed bugs in their oh, hotel. That's, oh, that's <laughs> meta. Oh. Can you? Ma- oh. I mean, if get paranoid. That would be it. <laughs> that is meta. I feel like so knowing knowing Franken, he put those bed bugs there. Yeah, he probably did. Yeah, just like he shot a live gun on set at, in, on The Exorcist. Like that was part of his directing. He was like, I'm just going to give them motivation by putting real bed bugs in their bed. Yeah. You know what? That's the most disturbing part of the movie right there. Gross. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, 
Also, it might interest you to know, uh, Michael Shannon didn't just come out of anywhere, you know, being cast in this movie. He's reprising the role that he played in the stage version. Yes, I heard that. What? He played Peter. He was in the stage uh, version. And Franken said he wanted him to play the real version in the film. Yep. I do think Uh, that, um, I do think Ashley Judd saying that she's a super mother bug is sort of informative of like, at that point, yeah, she is a super mother bug. Like she's spurned this whole thing. She's made Peter believe in everything and she's helped spread everything in a sense. So and when she takes power, she's like, I am the super mother bug. I thought that was interesting now that I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry to deviate. Okay. Um, this next fact was <laughs> surprising to me. Uh, one of This movie was one of the two films that received an F cinema score from Austin. <laughs> yep, I saw that. Their release in 2006. The other one was the Wicker Man remake. With ah! <laughs> <laughs> this movie the bees, does not belong the bees. with the yeah. Wicker Man. The, the, these two things do not... One of those films deserves the F, the other one does not. I'll you know what? Just, I, I think this film is a tough watch and people checked out at some point while watching yeah. it and they didn't mm-hmm. understand the impactfulness of it. I don't know. I just, that's a bummer. That's a bummer yeah. to me. Um, it is. I don't, it doesn't deserve that. Um, the entire script was shot in chronological order, which I think is interesting. Mm. So I think might have made it easier for the actors to kind of build to that intensity in the, you know, the climax of the movie. I think that's a smart that, choice. That you got to start out, you know, relatively normal and within and certain reality and then kind of break free of that and, and you know, go nuts, basically. Oh. So because I think most films are not really shot that way. So I, I thought that was notable. Um, I always like to hear who, what other actors were considered for certain roles in movies. Jodie Foster was considered for the role of Agnes. Oh, no, okay. that would have been amazing. That would have been interesting. I, I do have done an amazing job with it. I love Ashley Judd in this, but I, I would not say a bad word about Jodie Foster. So the thing yeah. is that I think Jodie Foster would easily deliver this role. Because I know mm-hmm. that she has the acting chops. I think mm-hmm. this role helped show me that Ashley Judd really did have, I mean, exactly. those acting, acting chops. Yeah. So like, yeah. like we didn't. Plus, I, like, I, I had a crush on Ashley Judd. Not I wouldn't have Judy expected Foster. Ashley Judd to deliver the way she did, but I think yeah. she delivers wholeheartedly. Did you say Ashley Juggs or Judd? I did not. I, I don't speak about women like that, John. Not- so we. <laughs> Uh, I have this fact here, which James already talked about. Uh, let's see here. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. It, it premiered at Fantastic Fest, not Con, in 2006. Um, it earned $3.24 million in its opening weekend. And it was the fourth highest earning film of that weekend behind, interestingly, Pirates of the Caribbean 3, Shrek 3, and Spider-Man 3. Uh, oh, wow. Kind of an odd That's coincidence. Great. Yeah. yeah. Where did uh, Wicker Man uh, land? <laughs> John, if I was to be chauvinist about this film, I do think that Ashley Judd has a great set of boobs. I'm just saying. I mean, uh, facts. Right? <laughs> That's we can all deal in in the same we reality. Can fact check that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. William Friedkin is a little cagey about how to classify this film genre wise, uh, which I think is interesting. He said, um, "Bug" is in many ways a black comedy love story. He said it's not a genre film, but marketing works in mysterious ways. They have to find a genre for it. This is a comedy. This is a melodrama. This is a love story. This is a horror film. This is an adventure film. Bug doesn't fit easily into any of those categories. 
I saw zero comedy in this movie. Yeah, I, don't know I see comedy. the love story. I, I get the romantic stuff, yeah. 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 There is a love story there. I have read that other places as well, people calling this a black comedy, and I just personally don't see it that way. No, I, I, I don't recall love- laughing at anything in the I would love like, to what are we laughing at? Like Jerry yeah, abusing his ex-wife? Like, like what are we hilarious? It's a real knee slapper. Nothing real funny. Ah, 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 ah. No. There are like <laughs> moments of levity where like Jace, like RC is interacting with um what's her name early on? And like they're kind of like cheesing uh Michael Shannon's character a little bit. Like, but they're not like jokey joke jokes. Like there's nothing no. ha ha funny in this movie. Absolutely. No, there was a sweet moment when they're on the swing. I, yeah, you know that's where it's like, like awkwardness in the beginning is kind of yeah. funny, and like the fact that she's sort of awkward too, but has a sense of humor. Um, mm, but yeah, that's like know. it. Really. Word. <laughs> um, and finally, uh, despite not being too popular with audiences, the film did turn a profit. It had a budget of four million dollars, and it earned eight point two million dollars at the box office. So it did recoup its costs and, and then some about doubled it, uh, yeah. but still not, not considered a huge success. And uh, yeah. as we've seen on Rotten Tomatoes, generally not well liked by audiences, unfortunately. Trey, I do like that you saw this in theaters, you said, right? Me? No. No, Trey. DVD. Yeah, I, did, yeah, I saw it. Yeah. I saw it on Blockbuster video. This is Thank one of those. Me. This is one of the things that like Blockbuster was great at. Like when 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 the uh, mainstream stuff that you were looking to rent wasn't there. You would look yeah. at the shows and you would find the, the lesser mainstream stuff. And yep. these are the kind of movies you would pick up and bring home. Yeah, exactly. the previews in these trail in these kind of movies would cue you into other like indie films. And right. I would watch a trailer to a film like this. Then the trailers before a film like this. And they would introduce me like three different indie films that were odd. Absolutely. And then I would look for those on the shelves of the blockbuster when I went back next time. Yep. Yeah, but it's blockbuster. It's a good I old days. Yeah, those those were the good old days. They really were. And it's not just us being old people. Like when you get <laughs> streaming, it's almost like you're bombarded with too many options. Yeah. I disagree. I think you have Tubi, which is our new blockbuster. You find all those. Oh, like, Tubi is very blockbuster esque. Yes, it is. That's what I do love about it. You find Evil Bong one through it. But there's also Come rumors on. that the Tubi's owned by Fox News, and like that gets a little weird. Like Fox. Uh, and, there was moments where I heard that I'm like, I'm not going to hear any slander about my Tubi. Listen to my episode with, <laughs> about cancel canceling stuff, and <laughs> let me know what you think. Tubi has introduced so many cool things, and it does so many. It intro, it 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 has so many like old odd films on it that I got to yeah, give credit to it just for that. Like it's it's pushing out old weird films. Yeah, maybe in twenty twenty four we might be doing Tubi. a whole month about oh, a bunch of Tubi movies. James, you are really missing out. Uh, I yeah. feel like Tubi has almost replaced Shudder as like the horror. You don't have Tubi, James. You know, I, I, be it's honest free. with you, I've not enjoyed the pleasure of Tubi. I think I'm going to check it out. I just check it out. It's free, and there's like yeah, there's lots of free. like newer films on there. There's older films, and then there's like yeah. really bad old films or like really just weird films. There's a lot right of there, like genre films, and the okay. commercials, the ads are not too frequent or too long. Yeah. I think. And they're placed in the perfect spot normally in a film <laughs> where like it knows when the cliffhangers. Oh, so the cuts are better. <laughs> yeah, it's cut better. Just know, like the algorithm it's using or whatever, just works better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll check it out this um, weekend. All right, well, gentlemen, that wraps up. Bug, thank you for an absolutely illuminating and thought-provoking conversation. Um, this has become a new favorite for me. Uh, next week. We have something kind of special coming up. Hydraberg, it's your pick. You want to tell us about it? 
We do. Next week, we're taking part in a crossover event between A Cut Above and Give Me Back My Action and Horror Movie. We're splitting the double feature film Grindhouse. So next week, we are covering, we're going to have the boys on, and we're going to cover Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror. Then that same week, we'll be on their show to cover Tarantino's Death Proof as guests. On a we are? Back my action horror movies. Yes, we will be. <laughs> what? Um, it hasn't happened we'll yet. It's te- definitely happening in the future. And oh. It'll be a good time, oh. I can guarantee. Uh, <laughs> also, the actual crossover between us, it's going to be a blast. So just enjoy it. The next week is going to be real fun to promote. It's going to be real fun to record. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be covering Grindhouse as a collaborative effort with giving back my action and horror movie. So Love those guys. Be amazing. I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah, uh, yeah, awesome. so I, by the way, you got you can find speaking of Tubi, you can find both those movies on Tubi, Planet Terror and Death Proof. They are okay. separated. Uh, it's very rare to find the Grindhouse film uh, complete as one whole really? film, but um, it's a double feature, and you can watch both those. I'm afraid the trailers are not included. You can find the trailers on uh, YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Nope. Trailers are at the beginning of Planet Terror. All of them? Uh, only Machete mm. is actually. Mm-mm. No, I, ha- oh, I own Grindhouse. Okay. Oh, on Tubi, you're saying? Well, thank mm-hmm. you, Tubi. Okay, All so right. on, on the actual Grindhouse I own, the way Grindhouse released, though, it was just Machete first, yeah. Planet Terror, and then in between Planet Terror and Grindhouse. I mean, Death Proof were the rest of the trailers. Good to know. Thanks for setting me straight, John. I misspoke. Mm. Fake news. That's I'm good. At least they're there. Which aren't. <laughs> and then you can catch, the you can catch uh, if it's not there, the Canadian trailer to uh, Hobo. With a shotgun, which is an episode that we covered on a cut above. Yeah, we uh, just did that on YouTube. And the Rob Zombie one he did. <laughs> um, yeah. German I'll woman post, of I'll the post links I can yep. post some links to these things. We'll post links. Um, all right. So that's it for us this week. Uh, if you would like to write in and share some thoughts about Bug, if you want to jump in on this conversation, you can feel free to email us at a cut above horror review at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at cut above. I'm sorry. You can follow us on X at Stop. That's not a real thing. X. Hydroberg? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you gave our X profile. Is <laughs> yes. it okay? Does, does, does Lord Elon give me permission to give the rest of the, uh, Yes. Okay. I... <laughs> so if you're bugged out after this episode and you want to catch us on Instagram at a cut above one word dot horror underscore review, please do so. And I got to say, one of the best podcasts out there, other than ours, is Trey's Table. James, where can they find you? You can find me anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Audible. It's on iHeart. It's on Spreaker. And of course, Spotify, Trey's Table. Thank you guys so much. It's always a pleasure. Like I said, I'm your biggest fan. And if you will indulge me just for a brief 10 seconds, Jacqueline, there is someone, a blast from the past, who wants to say hello to you. You may recall, there he is. Hello! <laughs> oh, good to see you. Jacqueline, see you too. T- turn, there you go. Turn your, turn your head. Yes. <laughs> it's been a lot of years. For the friend. viewers that don't know what's happening, uh, James's son is sitting in. <laughs> yes, yes. So I will tell you, this all is because of him. That amazing magical day when we decided to go to trivia at Uno Pizzeria. And I think a couple of weeks afterwards, we saw this brilliant person sitting with herself, reading a novel, drinking a glass of white wine called is it Brainy Smurf. Brainy Smurf. Yeah. That's right. And so this beginning of a friendship that has lasted all this time. So he's been so excited. I told him that I was going to do this tonight. And he's up extra late. And so I just wanted to give you guys a chance to reconnect and say hello to him. And Jordan, 
It's, it's John so and Hydra. Hey, Jordan. And they know about your podcast, uh, Blackout Combat, and all the MMA yeah, stuff promote, you're doing. Promote that, man. You want to talk about a big horror fan? This young man right here, one hundred percent. What's the one you told me about the other day that's coming out? What is it? Is it like Talk to Me? Yeah, oh, Talk, talk to, to Me looks real good. I got tickets already. Yeah, so we're gonna check Australian. it out this weekend and let you guys know. Jordan, Jordan would you you're want the to man. Come on sometime. As Say a, would, would you want to come on our show sometime as a guest? Oh, host? absolutely. I'd I'd love to. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll work it out. Uh, and let me just say, I would not want to go up against you at trivia ever again. <laughs> or MMA. <laughs> I would love, I would love to play a game with you, but I would, uh, I would not be on the winning side there. <laughs> Jordan, what's the name of the podcast again? Uh, Blackout Combat, but with a K instead of a C. All right. Don't forget to go give them the five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes and Spotify. Same with Trey's Table. Same with A Cut Above Horror Review. Give us those five-star ratings. We need them. And uh, follow us on Facebook, A Cut Above Colon Horror Review. All right, guys. All right. Thank you so much. Again, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Thanks, James. And we'll see everybody next week for Planet Terror. Right, and keep care. it creepy. <laughs> <laughs>